Yeah. Islam is the religion of mercy, but it is also, and above all, the religion of truth. And truth is pitiless in that it cannot be other than it is. There is no way in which black can become white so as to appease the grief of a human soul. Not even God, for all his omnipotence, can choose to make error into truth. The relationship between truth and mercy is therefore the most complex relationship in the whole theater of creation. And even beyond this theater, in the principles which govern it, if a balance is possible, it can be held steady only by the prophets, the sages, and the saints. The rest go this way or that, to one extreme or the other. In the history of Christianity, as in that of Islam, there have been men for whom only truth mattered and who could not see that truth itself when crystallized in earthly formulations and dogmas may become relative and therefore subordinate to a higher wisdom or to the law of love and mercy. The Inquisition burned its heretics and Hajjaj slaughtered his rebels. But there have also been men, and they seem to predominate in contemporary Christian circles, who think only of love and mercy and would like to banish from religion the sword of discrimination, which divides truth from error until eventually truth is compromised. And for this very reason, mercy becomes hollow and impotent, a sentimentality which has no roots in the heart's core where truth eternally resides. That was uh, from Charles Guy Eaton, Islam and the Destiny of Man. Oh, that's and, a non-Muslim. I thought that was... A, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. And he's Muslim? He's Muslim. He's a convert. Oh, he's oh. Whenever I tell... Whenever I, this is... Whenever, I, uh, whenever non-Muslims, Westerners, ask about Islam, I actually warn them against picking up a Quran. I tell them two books to pick up first. Primarily, Islam and the Destiny of Man by Charles Guy Eaton. He was a personal friend of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. He was a British diplomat. He converted to Islam. And um, this book sets the stage because he, he, um, he divided it into three parts. The first one is an approach to faith, to faith where he um, sets the stage. You as a non-Muslim, there are all these metaphysical and philosophical assumptions that you have. Let me work them out for you. Let me just set them explicitly out for you so that you know how you're judging things when you're exposed to them. And then after that, he goes into the second part, which is the making of faith. And in that, he talks about the Quran, the Prophet Sallallahu and the Sunnah, talks about the companions, talks about the city of the Prophet Sallallahu And then the last part, and then the way of the world. And then the last part of the book is um, the fruits of faith. So when you apply this religion properly and adopt it and take it wholeheartedly, what does it mean? How does it impact you? How does it manifest itself in the world? Um, and so I tell people to read this book first. And if they have it in them to also read Ali Azad Bigovich's Islam Between East and West, read those two books. That kind of sets the stage. Then pick up a Quran translation. I recommend M.A.S. Abdul Halim's. But along with that, also listen to the recitation of the Quran, even if they don't understand it. Because as uh, Charles Guy Eden says, it's not about just the language. It's also, the, it's not what's contained. It's not about the content. It's the container as well. And the Qur'an is transmitted in a particular fashion. You don't just read the Qur'an in Arabic, you recite it. And there are rules for recitation. There is tajweed, there is ways of doing it. And you have to sit with a teacher to be able to recite it properly. Well, there is a secret in the tajweed. There is a secret in the tartil of the Qur'an. 
that can only be attained or uh, perceived when you hear it properly. So even if you don't intellectually understand the Quran in Arabic, your soul is going to understand what is being said. Your being is going to be impacted by the tajweed. And so I tell people, read the Quran in English so that you understand what's being said to some degree, but listen to it also in Arabic so that you feel the impact of it. Because you will feel it even if you don't understand Arabic. But only do these two things after you read Islam and the Destiny of Man because that sets the stage. The Quran is not a linear book. Um, if you are if you come from a Western context and you're used to a particular order of how chapters should unfold and how stories should unfold, and things, it will come across as incoherent. There are things that are missing for you. Uh, there is a lot of context that is not there. The Quran itself was revealed over a 23-year period. So even Arabs had to go through a gradual process of being exposed to the Quran. And you need to have that context as a non-Muslim, non-Westerner person to um, understand what's being said. So if you just pick up the Quran by yourself, yeah, you'll find stories on YouTube of individuals who read the Quran and they felt impactful and they converted. That is not the norm. The general rule is that people will find it incoherent. Um, they will not finish it. Most of them don't even get halfway through it and they just drop it because they don't get what's going on. Um, and so I tell him, read this book first because he actually sets the stage and he tells him how to read the Quran itself, how to approach it, what to expect out of it. That, that's a fantastic um, analysis, what you just did, and something that a lot of Muslims don't want to come to terms with. We've all been kind of, uh, if, if, like I repeat it, um, some people can even say that's heresy, you know, that, um, you know, how could you say that? Um, it, the Quran wouldn't be appealing to a Western audience. It should be, it, you know, its message is eternal and it's appealing to everyone, and it's, it's it speaks to our innate uh, um, uh, characteristics of our soul. And uh, I, and I think I think uh, what 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 you're also talking about is something uh, related to the truth in, in in terms of that quote that you just, I was just gonna talked it, yeah. about, right? And something that we've been talking about throughout our, throughout our podcast, your podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been talking about postmodernism. We've been talking about all these different types of philosophies. And uh, one of the things that myself and Sheikh Amr learned when we were first getting into the religion, we were learning about, you know, um, uh, how to understand the reality. Okay, so we were using different terms back then, but we were re really just talking about the truth and how to understand the world around us. Um, and and we, we talked touched on this uh, quite a bit on our episode with you regarding consciousness and that's what probably the most downloaded episode the mad one looks ever made so if <laughs> you uh, have a chance make sure you listen to that episode if you haven't already before this episode because it's, it really drives um it'll probably uh make a lot more sense to you um but in terms of building the the initial understandings of how man or humans being uh, conscious human beings how does a consciousness develop initially right when we first try to look at um well how did our thoughts come together and how did we start making um ideas and those ideas became um larger understandings about things um around us Let's let's kind of walk through the, these steps and and in terms of understanding what consciousness is and why it's such a difficult um, thing that scientists can can't explain. What they they have very difficult time explaining why um, uh, consciousness cannot be duplicated. Right? Um, 
sh- sh- uh, do you do you have any um, uh, tools that can probably help us bring um, bring some of these ideas together so that we can understand uh, we can understand ourselves a lot better? There's a problem with um, the, the the modern world assumes that the only method of inquiry that is valid to attain knowledge is the scientific method, and the scientific method by its very nature, is uh, a reductive process. Um, you, you, can't, you can't approach anything scientifically unless you break it into its components, and then you study each component on its own, and then you make an induction out of these components to a larger scale. If you reflect on the, um, the assumptions of that, I mean, uh, what is the foundational premise of Islam? It's Tawheed. It's unity, it's divine unity. It's la ilaha illallah, and he is the only, he's the creator of everything that is in existence. And what we see are just multiplicities um, of that, um, of manifestations of the attributes that are coming from the one. Scientific method, on the other hand, assumes multiplicity as the start, and then it induces it to a larger scale. There's a way to look at it, it's almost like a... Um, uh, can you explain what that means, yeah, multiplicity? I was just say, when you say multiplicity, do you mean... Uh, uh, multiple deities do you multiple ideas and yes multiple multiple things multiple things in existence i mean if you uh, look at somebody like ibn arabi muhyiddin ibn arabi when he talks about wahdat al-wujud um which people have misunderstood some people have misunderstood it to think that he's talking about pantheism which is far from what he was talking about wahdat al-wujud or, or unity of existence um, it's that the only thing that is self-sustaining, self-sufficient in his existence is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everything else is contingent upon his existence. And everything you see in the world are manifestations of divine attributes. One of the attributes is al-khaliq. The other one is al-bari, al-musawwir. Whenever you see things happening in the world, they're always manifestations of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They appear to you to be happening in multiples. They're, they're different things. But in reality, they're actually one. If you see beyond, it's like شَغَلَتْنَا الْأَدِلَّ عَنَ الْمَدْلُولِ The evidences, the multiple lines of evidence have preoccupied our minds to the degree that we've become forgetful over what they're pointing to. Uh, like the Buddhists saying that we became confused and looked at the finger, confused the finger for the moon, finger pointing at the moon for the moon itself. Mm. So everything you see in the world is just a divine manifestation of the multiple of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is one the scientific method on the other hand assumes that you can understand the world not as one but as multiples that i can take uh, any element of the in the world divide it into its component parts study these component parts which is the the achilles heel of the scientific method is that it breaks everything into components and then assumes and it's a logical fallacy it assume, it assumes that by by studying the components, I can understand the whole. So I can take a, a human being, consciousness for example, I can look at, we assume ahead of time, we don't even know this for sure by the way, we just assume it, that it's got to do something to do with the brain. Because that's where the, the neur- most of the neurons seem to be, that's where a lot of uh, activities take place for uh, cognition and perception and whatnot. Um, that's the end uh, point for all of these things. So we study the brain and then we break the brain into components. We break it into regions and then from regions into different neurons. And there are different types of neurons and different types of other cells in the nervous system. And by studying these cells and studying their activity, I can then induce from that 
an understanding about the whole. In a sense, it's kind of idolatry. It's a type of idolatry. It's a type of polytheism because you're looking at the world as multiples. That's what polytheistic, like Hinduism is what, 300 million gods or whatever? That's kind of how you're looking at the world from a scientific perspective. It's all these multiples, and I'm going to look at the attributes of these multiples and then induce from it some sort of understanding about the whole. And every time you see scientists coming up with some discovery about, oh, this thing is related to that because they share this much percentage of the genome or whatever, because they don't come from a position of tawheed, they actually attribute it to relations between each thing in this world as opposed to the creator is one. And all of these are signs pointing to the one as opposed to them pointing to each other as gods in their own right. Mm. Um, so the, 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 the problem with the modern world is that the scientific method is the only way that I can achieve. Um, and, and I'm talking scientific in the sense that the empirical study of material things in existence that we are able to perceive, whether through our five senses or through our technological advancements, this is the only way for us to understand something like if we have a question about consciousness. Well, the problem with consciousness is that you're using consciousness to study consciousness. There is nothing in science that does that except when it comes to consciousness, and that's why they call it the heart problem. Um, you have to become greater than the thing that you're studying. The, the tools of measurement that you use to study anything have to encompass that thing that you're measuring. You have to transcend above it in some degree so that you become an objective observer and study it at, the, at, a, great, at a, a transcendent level so that you can make conclusions about it. The problem with consciousness is that, number one, you're conscious, so you, have to, you can't transcend your own consciousness in that sense. And secondly, because they recognize that problem and they want to become objective, they give you a different definition of consciousness. And consciousness no longer becomes about awareness of oneself and one's thought, this third degree of higher awareness of your existence and your own being. No, consciousness now becomes the study of attention, the study of uh, sensory perception, the study of cognition. Because it's that's like an the only proper approach it, it, to something, right? And I think what's that's that? a, I think it's an improper approach to something. That what what I'm understanding from you is an improper yeah. approach to consciousness, which makes it very difficult to decipher what's truth at the end, right? Well, it's redefining. It's like understanding you can't explain something, so then redefining the boundaries. Exactly. To like try it's, to like make sense of it. Exactly. So I, oh, I, I they understand very well. They understand this very well, but they are limited by the method of inquiry. The method of inquiry does not allow you to study it and answer the question that you really want to know. I'm not interested in attention that like you can show me an image on a screen and then tell me and then make it disappear in two seconds and then show it again to, and ask me to tell you what's different about it. That's not consciousness. That's just attention. Okay, so um, so so, what is consciousness? It's that's something that I'm trying to understand. Um, when and uh, I think a lot of people are trying to understand what consciousness is, is exactly. When we as children are are born, we're just sucking in information through our senses, right? Our five senses, mm -hmm. where we're we're just like a, a black hole, just sucking in everything, right? And um, we're making associations, right, with all this information. We're trying to put together uh, links based on cause and effect um, mm -hmm. with all this information that's kind of been sucked into our mind. And and eventually we start making th sense of things like, um, you know, um, you know, drinking milk is uh, nutrition. We um, we see babies, you know, they get really happy when they're 
uh, drinking a bottle of milk. They understand that that this thing is going to make them satisfied on a that's biological level. But that's not consciousness. Right, right, because animals also have that too. Exactly. Right? Consciousness is beyond that. Consciousness is your awareness of your mortality. Oh, because there is a moment that each one of us experience in our lives where we yes. stand in front of the mirror and you, you kind of go like, whoa. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm somebody who exists. And I, I is, think for is, me, it was like when I was like 10. I was pretty dumb. So just, it took me a while. Yeah, but language, maybe Sheikh Amir understood it when he was five. <laughs> yeah, use Quranic language. I mean, in the Quran, what is, what is ghafla? It's the opposite of consciousness. Yeah, it's forgetfulness. It's forgetfulness. It's, it's uh, being in a state of ghafla. It's yeah. being in a state of heedlessness. It's in a state of forgetfulness. It's a state of lack of awareness. You know, I was just going to mention about that. Your, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just going about your life in a state of um, lack of awareness. But lack of awareness of what? What is Allah talking about here? Hmm. Yeah, so this is about consciousness from an Islamic perspective. Yeah. It's number one, awareness of your mortality. What one? And what? Yeah. One thing I, I usually understand. Sorry to cut yeah, you off. Is when I try when I uh, try to explain consciousness to some of my students, uh, one thing if we break it down on a very molecular level, we have to, to, to understand consciousness, the human being needs a focal point, a single focal point, right? If you have mm -hmm. multiple focal points, that becomes very confusing. And then, again, it's a wrong approach, I, I believe, is you have to have a single focal point. And not only all over the Quran, but a beautiful elementary hadith that Rasulullah when the Waft al-Yaman came to Rasulullah you know, I'm paraphrasing the hadith, ma aslu shay, or something to that extent. You know, what, what are the origins of all this? And Rasulullah he said, Kan Allah yakun ma'ahu There was mm. only Allah and there was nothing with him. When yeah. he's talking about before the world was created, everything, there was only Allah. And one of the narrations says, there was only Allah and there was just darkness, right? So mm -hmm. what that does is the hadith gives even children such a focal point to understand that Allah was first and he was always there. It was out of his own wisdom of creation after that, right? Yeah. Even though Allah yeah. was always the creator before even creating, right? Be before even time. Yeah, before even time, which is a creation. Right. We're bound by time, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created time as a creation for us. But now we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we know that there was only Allah and there was nothing else before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now it makes us, it, it makes our the focal point, even of our brain, easy to come to the truth, to know where truth actually comes from, Right. It's as mm -hmm. if the hadith just this is why this the hadith are actually genius, right? Is that yeah. it, it it obliterated everything. There's nothing in existence except for Allah. So now there's no confusion. What happens when you're on the street or in the road when you're driving? There's too many things around you, so there's too many distractions. All of that's alleviated from us, right? And there's only Allah. Yeah. And from then on we can build our consciousness, right? Because we have a focal point. If we don't have, if we have multiple points to focus on, then we don't we're not gonna come to the truth, right? And, and exactly. we have to understand Allah before everything if we want to understand the truth. And I think that kind of builds the paradigm properly, right? There's only one, and that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and everything mm. that comes from him is true. And that's why when he was explaining that quote, I remember Sim, he was very, even multiple podcasts that we had, I think that quote from, what did you say his name was? Gaiden? Louis Foucault? What? No. <laughs> Guy, Guy Eaton, <laughs> yes. Louis Foucault is the founder of postmodernism. Guy Eaton, yes. Yeah. He, and the, it, that's a summarization, Sim, of what you've been trying to say to many of the guests also, is that, listen, Islam is about truth. It doesn't matter 
what time you're living in. It doesn't matter if you're going to aim and to, to attain the truth. Nothing else really matters. Yeah, you have to be nice uh, if you disagree with somebody, but regardless, the truth is the truth. Right? No, but it, you have to be a truth. It's something, and uh, we were talking about this uh, before the podcast. Uh, something that we picked up from Firas Sahabi's uh, appearance on Joe Rogan's episode. He was, like, he was Joe too. Yeah, so, a, any listeners uh, out there who... I don't want to give who, Joe Rogan all this credit. <laughs> no, uh, uh, well, let's give for us yeah. the credit because yeah. uh, I know he's um, uh, he's a practicing Muslim and he's... Uh, so, uh, if anyone wants to go check it out, uh, listen to last hour where he really talks about this. But he's talking about science's limitation on the human perspective that... We are bound, we are restricted to the understanding of the reality through the first person. And we cannot understand the reality from a third person perspective. So let, let me make it more easier to understand. Imagine a lot of people play Minecraft. I, I don't think Shaham or, or Mahin plays Minecraft, but um, Minecraft is a game where you, you understand all these, the, the world around you is completely blocks, right? And, if you explore the world, you're continuously building things with these blocks. But if you look at it from a third-person perspective, there might be triangles and things like that that you are completely unaware of that exists in this world. So this is what we're talking about. When you're looking at science, you're really ex you're really restricted to the first-person perspective in the universe. But is with Islam. It is the only third-person truth that exists mm. in the world. If you think about mm. it, there, there's really no truth out there that we really understand from a third-person perspective. I see what you're saying. So, okay, with that being said, though, I'd like to be, I'd, you know, we're operating from a Muslim perspective to start, right? And then we're trying, and we have, like, we're already in the Islam box, but yeah. like, how, how do we get there if you're not in the Islam box? You mean you're a Muslim? You're not, you're not Muslim. Muslim or you're not Muslim, or you're whatever. You're, you're some. You're just random Kafir kid running around a <laughs> drive. <laughs> you just gave away that's our address. Said, that's why I said it. It starts off with this recognition of your mortality. Consciousness cannot be awakened until you, because you could. You have a lot of people that are walking around. They appear conscious, but they're not. And only when they begin to be, to contemplate on their own mortality, that is the path towards actually becoming aware and conscious of your own existence being contingent. And by implication from that, you recognize the absolute existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you can become conscious. But that's how you start. You start off with just first reflecting on, because it, living without God is absurd. It's an absurdity. If you think about the nature of existence, without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what do you do? You get up in the morning, you take a bath, take a shower, whatever, you go to work, you have breakfast, you go to work, or you go to school, you study, you struggle, you do, you're a social activist, you're a social justice warrior type of person, you go and march and do all of these things, for what? If there is nothing beyond this, if there is nothing after death, and all that's going to happen is you're just going to be dirt in the earth. What's the point? What's the point of all the degrees that you get? What's the point of this podcast? Hmm. I think they would say, Honestly, though, yeah, but there is no point. But wouldn't people say that, well, that's the whole point? 
like the we have a limited framework of 60 years and we got to make everything work in that 60 years because there's why nothing struggle? after why struggle if it's only 60 years why struggle i think it's about like i heard one guy say Being it's about legacy person. you want to be a or good it's about person. legacy it's all about like the thing we legacy we, for what legacy for our children and our grandchildren and why you'll be forgotten in two generations no, I, I think I know what he's the approach he's taking is people just want they say you know we want you, you know you want to be a good person. Well, the the Republican down south who's you know bathing his bullets in uh, swine blood to shoot Muslims, he thinks he's doing something good too, right? So there has yeah, to be a criterion for what's good and what's wrong, right? There has exactly. to be a criterion. There is, there is no point to any of this. I mean, if you look at Nietzsche's, why did Nietzsche lose his mind towards the end of his life? Is because he just recognized when he, his point in the in his book, The Gay Science. Where he wrote his aphorisms. Um, is that where he he, where he God declared is God is dead? Yeah, that's where he said God yeah. is dead. And um, he said, when God is dead, then we have to become gods ourselves, because there is no longer an absolute transcendent source of morality, of existence, of meaning, of any of that stuff. And so, what's the point? the 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 end game is what's the point? Like it. That's the problem with consciousness is that once you start to become aware of your mortality. There are two paths that you will go with. Either you will go through the path of Nietzsche, which is just existence itself is absurd and there is no meaning to it. And let's just maximize pleasure while we're here. And who's to define what pleasure is? I mean, if you want to talk about postmodernism, postmodernism is a direct byproduct of an atheistic worldview. Because if you don't have an absolute transcendent source of morality and all you need to do is just maximize pleasure and minimize pain for yourself, well, who's get, who gets to define what pleasure is? It's the powerful who will get to define what's pleasurable and becomes a power game. Right. So those in power will, will coerce others to do what they think is right. That's um, exactly so that's the path that you take. That's or, exactly postmodernism right there. Yeah, that's, it's just a byproduct of atheism. Or you decide that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is transcendent and you recognize that and then that's your source of morality and that's your source of truth. And then it no longer becomes a power game in that sense that you coerce people to doing things because of what you find pleasurable. Rather, it becomes because of what is true and what is just. And, and as, far, as long as we're talking about our mortality, and you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you know, makes it so simple and easy for us by starting off by telling us who our father is and what his father was made of and generations after that procreation what our essence and what we're actually made of, not only physically, but then, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that that he's created in a very hasty mm -hmm. manner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually putting the layers down of our consciousness and our mortality in such an elementary fashion where truth becomes very easy, right? Truth becomes mm -hmm. very, very, uh, it's like you have no other way to believe it. You know, there's, there's no other way. And it yeah. seems as, you know, when you get a false sense of understanding what your conscience is, that's where the mental gymnastics begins. And that's where you go off the rails in your own consciousness becomes your source of your misery. Right. And it becomes your source of destruction. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. It can, it can but, either be your best friend or it can become your enemy. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I look at this at these questions of consciousness. I used to be really like I used to dig deep into it and have multiple books that I went through and listened to numerous lectures on the subject and stuff. And now I just find it kind of boring, to be honest, because 
the number one, the definition of consciousness, the, the assumption, the approach to knowledge is limited. You right. can only attain knowledge through the scientific methodology, which is the study of empirical phenomena. And then because of that, they've limited the definition itself of consciousness. And so they're no longer talking about real consciousness, what people are actually talking about when they're talking about consciousness. They're just talking about things that, only, that science can only study, which is now you're looking at attention, perception, sensory deprivation, how does that impact your perception of the world, things like that. Yeah. Um, and so it's no longer, it's, it's, it leaves you wanting. There is no answer to what you're actually seeking. And because they, they have um, uh, dismissed the role of revelation um, irrationally, by the way, um, they just say that it's, it's, it's not a valid form of knowledge. Um, so they go with their incoherent methodology. And so you, you've, they've limited the, uh, the scope of knowledge for people. And so you have the multiple people writing books and things. And that's really how this um, modern academia functions. The way modern academia functions is by finding loopholes in somebody else's explanations and write your own papers and write your books. And, and that's how you make yourself a name. It's not about truth. And it alleviates all responsibility. What happens in this process is that if there is no truth, there is no responsibility. Right? Well, all you're exactly. doing is deconstructing stuff but not reconstructing anything. Exactly. But at the end, nobody wants responsibility. If they answer that question properly, that there is one truth, there's one Allah, and everything has to come from Him, then that's responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Then there's you have yep. to change. There's a, a radical, a rapid, I want to say. Well, the, okay, let, let, let's, play devil's, let's play yourself. devil's advocate. Let's say you're an atheist, and then you come to the conclusion that Allah exists. But now it's like, okay, so God exists. But then now what? Now I got to find, like, okay, does God... Because a lot of people will say, okay, for their for their truth, there's like, if you tell them, well, I believe God exists, I'm like, what do you think about Islam? It's like, yeah, I'm not really into organized religion. And I usually say, well, so are you into disorganized religion? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the point is, like... um. You know that, but you know they have to. Get, that's another leap, right? That you gotta like. Well, I get had somebody. I actually had a conversation with somebody in, uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, she's an atheist, mm -hmm. and we had a good like. I think it was an hour and a half of chatting after this panel that I was in, and um, at the end of the discussion, she became an agnostic. She acknowledged that she's not really an atheist because I just pushed her with her with the line of questioning. And she acknowledged at the end that, you know, you're, you're right. I can't really say for certain. Okay, then don't call yourself an atheist. If you can't be certain about it, call yourself an agnostic. Okay, oh, sure, I'll accept that. All right, so why are you here? I mean, you came all the way to this gathering. You sat down. You listened to the talk. You listened to our panels. Um, why are you here? Oh, I just want to learn. Okay, so are you interested? Are you open to changing if you learn something that is true? that you become convinced for your own sake that this is the truth. Are you open to, to it? And she said yes. I was like, all right, if you're open to it, I'm going to give you some books to read. So I recommended to her Islam and the Destiny of Man, Islam Between East and West, you know, pick up Ms. Abdul Hayim's translation, listen to the Quran being recited. She said, listen to it, take your time, just read the books, read, go through that. And then if after all of that, if you have any other questions, come back to me and then I'll answer them too. At the end of the day, it is not upon us to guide people. Our task in this world is to deliver the message. And so I'm perfectly content just, you know, do it. So I just do that. That's my role. That's, that's the task that I was imparted with. So I, I deliver all the information. I answer all the questions. And then I say, and, and then I tell them at the end of the day, 
if you're interested in finding truth, water does not flow from lower uh, ground to higher ground. Water flows only from higher elevations to lower elevations. So if you want to, if you're thirsty for truth and you want to drink it, you have to humble yourself. Don't come at this with assumptions and presuppositions that you got everything figured out. Be open to it. And so here's the information, here's the, and then, so I try to turn people's attention, I try to raise their awareness and their consciousness with regards to their assumptions that they have and their biases and prejudices so that they're aware of them because people will behave with their biases without knowing so until it's pointed out to them and it's like, oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't do that. Most people are good in that sense. They don't want to be behaving with biases that will deprive them from truth. So I turn their attention to their biases. I give them the information. I set them, uh, set them on the path that I think is proper. And then I open my lines of communication. If you have any other questions, you're more than welcome to come along. But at no point do I assume or do I uh, uh, push anything upon them that they don't want to be pushed on. I'm not expecting them to convert um, because I, I, that's not my role. Guidance is for Allah. You know, you mentioned um, something about the absurdity of, you know, uh, trying to delve into consciousness and all these things. And I, I, I remember thinking like, yes, I had that same moment too, where, you know, reading the books of philosophy and things like that, where like, where is this headed? You know, you're kind of running around in circles. But I, I think that there's a lot of young Muslims there around in, in the West who are just getting into this stuff, right? And they're trying to get their minds around understanding concepts like God is dead. Like, what what does that mean? That took I, me forever to even understand. You, like, Sim, I, The older I get and the more I, I've been doing this, um, the more I'm realizing something. Um, we focus so much on the intellectual um, back and forth right. with a lot of these subjects. And we forget that an essential element of the Islamic tradition of, of experience of truth involves practice. Imam al-Ghazali in his uh, Deliverance from Error, Al-Muqid min al-Dalal, brilliantly outlined biography of his spiritual journey. You know, he read for the philosophers, he read for the esoterics, he read for the, uh, the, so, the, the, the sophists, he read for all of these people. And he mastered their methodologies and he wrote books in their own schools that were better than their own scholars to the degree that they, he was attested for by them. So we, he came up with arguments that we didn't even come up with. So he was brilliant in that sense, but he was dissatisfied. He found himself still wanting to attain certainty. I still want to know that I'm certain in my truth in this religion. He's still a Muslim, he believes, but he's, he's looking for, it's almost like Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, when he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, قَالَ رَبِّ أَرِيْنِي كَيْفَ تُحِي الْمَوْتَ قَالَ أَوَلَمْ تُؤْمِنْ قَالَ بَلَا وَلَكَنْ لِيَطْمَئِنَّ قَلْبِي I, I believe, oh Allah, and this is Khalilullah. He believes, but he still wants to gain that additional certainty. So Allah showed him through experience. Cut up these birds, spread them across the mountains, and then call them to you. They will come hastily. They will come quickly to you. So in this religion, I mean, if you look at it, um, we are surrounded with technology left, right, and center. Um, I asked, I did a, I was given the blessing of giving the khutbah yesterday at the mosque here. And um, I just posed a question to people because we're a week now after and there was the, the usual drama with moon sighting and whatnot. So I just asked the crowd, I said, look, look just uh, I'm not going to advocate for calculations or moon sighting or whatever. I just want you to reflect on 
the implications of a decision that you make with regards to how you conduct your act of worship. Let's reflect on prayer, for example. If I were to ask everybody in this congregation, how many of you have actually witnessed the break of dawn? Literally, like the actual break, when you see that long, thin line, white line in the horizon of the sun coming up, where it indicates for you that now Fajr, this is the time of Fajr, which is the break of dawn. How many of you have actually witnessed it? And I made a, a, an assertion that 98% of you will, will say none of you have actually gone out and seen that. Okay, if you haven't seen that, can you honestly be truthful when you say you understand when Allah says, Wal Fajr, Walayalin Ashr? Do you understand the significance of that oath that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by? How many of you have seen this, the light of the sun as it comes up, as it starts to uh, dissipate across and uh, starts to cover the sky? And then you can see even up above you that half of the sky is light and half of it is dark. And as the sun is setting, the same thing. So if you haven't seen that and you haven't witnessed it, can you really say that you understand what what that actually means? Have you seen it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the whole Quran is pointing to natural phenomena, left, right, and center, all over the place, and linked our acts of worship to these to these phenomena, showing us that if you want to uh, do your prayer, Alam tara ila rabbika kayfa maddadil? Walau sha'a laja'alahu thabitan laja'alahu sakinan وَجَعَلْنَا الشَّمْسَ عَلَيْهِ دَلِيلًا ثُمَّ قَبَضْنَهُ إِلَيْنَا قَبْضًا يَسِيرًا Surah Al-Furqan So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tells you in Surah Al-Furqan Do you not see how he extends the shadow? And had he wanted he would have made the shadow um, still and he would have made the sun itself be the indicator for the shadow as opposed to how it is right now. Okay, Dhuhr time there's a way to know it. How many of you can actually tell if a magnetic wave, a magnetic storm comes from the sun right now and shuts down all of this technology. How many Muslims are all going to be able to, on their own, determine when Dhuhr and Asr time enters? All of us are relying on all of these created things, these made up stuff through Adhan apps that we have downloaded on our laptops and computers and iPhones. Um, Maghrib time enters, how many of you have actually seen the sun set? So that you can see the sign of Allah. Same thing with the Hilal, you know, the Crescent. You want to rely on calculations? MashaAllah, more power to you. But I need you to know that when you decide that, when you make that decision, you actively kill a Sunnah. He sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam used to go and sight the new moon, which in Arabic called Hilal, from Arabic Ahalla, which means it appears, thus indicating from the Arabic itself that it's something that you have to have an active relationship with. And then he used to see it, and then he would make a dua. Allahumma hillahu alayna bil iman wal wal islam. And then he would turn to the moon and he would say, Rabbi wa rabbuk Allah. He would talk to the moon. Allah. Why? Allah. Because he, the moon itself is making tasbih. It's a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam would speak to the moon. So when you say, I'm just going to go with the calculations, you're now killing a sunnah. You're abandoning a sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Know that that is the implication of your decision. I'm not saying wrong or right. I'm just wanting you to understand that. So when you have all of these things being abandoned, you don't know how to, the link between your acts of worship and the natural phenomena. I mean, even ulama in the Quran. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quranic term for ulama does not refer to um, uh, scholars of the religion. وَلَوْ رَدُّهُ إِلَى رَسُولِهِ وَأُلُوا لِأَمْرِ مِنْهُمْ 
لعلمه الذين يستنبطونه so that's all the amr is a reference to the scholars of the religion فاسألوا أهل الذكر إن كنتم لا تعلمون ask the people of remembrance if you don't know these are the scholars of the religion but what about علماء who are the علماء in the Quran Allah says in Surah Fatir ألم ترى أن الله أنزل من السماء ماء فأخرجنا به ثمرات مختلفة ألوانها do you not see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has descended from the heavens water and then he brought fruits and plants different colors and from the mountains you have white and red and different colors of hues of black of people of animals of cattle different different colors as well truly the only people who really fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala certainly are the ulama so Allah is refer is listing all of these natural phenomena and then he's calling people who understand these things the ulama surah al-ankabut mathal alladhina takhadhu min dunillahi awliya'a kamathal al-ankabut takhadat bayta wa inawhan al-buyut la bayt al-ankabut law kanu ya'lamun the example of the house of the of those who take uh, awliya take uh, supporters helpers other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like the the spider when it takes a house it is the weakest of houses إن الله يعلم ما يدعون من دونه من شيء وهو العزيز الحكيم وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس وما يعقلها إلا العالمون. And these are the examples, the analogies we give to people, we strike for people, and the only ones who truly understand it are العالمون, those who have knowledge. So you want to talk about attaining certainty, consciousness of Allah سبحانه وتعالى. You have to go out there and look at the creation of Allah. You cannot know Allah, as Allah says in Surah Al-Amal, لا تدرك الأبصار وهو يدرك الأبصار. No, sights cannot get at him, cannot reach him, but he reaches all sights. You have to go out and actually see the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you want to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing like unto him. You cannot know Allah directly, but you can know him through his creation. And he's pointing you out throughout all the Quran. So how can you recite the Quran even during Ramadan? MashaAllah, people do these khatim and all of these things. I wonder how many of us really experience the impact of the Qur'an truly and understand it. No matter how much tafsir you, re tafsir you read, how do you really experience it when you have not experienced the things that Allah is talking about? Allah is listing all of these things. I've done this, I've created this, I've made this, I've, I've put this out for you, I've done this, this and that. And you've not seen any of them. You're but, reading it. It's all abstract to you. Even if and I could add on to that, even if I could add on to that, the simplicity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about our very creation in the different phases, it's so easy mm -hmm. that he just wants us to reflect on just our being itself, right? Yep. Within yeah. you is a greatest sign of Allah, don't you see, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually telling us, you don't even have to look to the celestial bodies, you don't have to look at anything. No. Look at yourself and just think about how that happens, right? How do you have eyesight, right? You know, so and it's and it's it's truly amazing just looking at yourself. I mean, every day I'm Subhanallah. I just I, when you reflect when when you try to account for the blessings of Allah, you cannot attack, make, make measure of it. The fact that you're able to sit without falling off the chair, or stand, and walk, and eat, and process the food in your body, and go to the gym if you go to the gym, or study, or write. All of these things, look at things, the colors, the hues, the things that you can perceive. I mean, the, the hearing that you have, the abilities that you have, all of these things, that they're not out of your own accord. 
you will be nothing without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is granting Just reflecting on your own existence, like Shaykh Amr said, you're right. Like, that should just put you in a state of awe that should render you almost speechless yeah. and paralyzed from just wonder. And this is what I tell people. I say, look, man, whether you're Muslim, you're unmuslim, you're atheist, whatever the case is, when you see a baby, especially if it's your own, why are you in such amazement every time they make a progression? Why do you look at them mm -hmm. and like words cannot describe when you look at your child, especially that age, you know, between like up until like one years old, up until 14, 15, 16 months. There's certain things that a child does where it's actually magical, but there's no real conscious way that you can actually describe it, right? There's nothing. Mm -hmm. And we see that on a regular basis. Everybody sees it. But and only the human being goes through these stages to the degree that we do and we progress through these different yes, phases. You're right. Animals, animals just let their... What is it? A few hours? They get up and then they suckle at, the, uh, yep. at, the, at their mother and then they go and graze. Yep. And then they become independent after a certain age, right? And they just let them go yep. and they never even think about them, right? But exactly. it, I think there's something here and there's a reason why I mentioned that is that everyone sees this. Everyone sees the progression of their children if they do have children. Or even if they have pets, you know, you can fall in love with your pets. It's totally cool because animals are amazing too. But the consciousness that they have in the lens of what they're looking at that person, there's a disconnect that occurs now, right? Which mm -hmm. is where I think where people in, in, in talking about, you know, even philosophies and their confusion and their aqidah and their belief, they look at this being and for them, they know it's too good to be true, but there's a philosophy that, that kind of just kicks in and it makes them not believe the origins of how this beauty came about and how, the, how, how this creation came about. And the only dilemma and the only benefit that, and it's not even a benefit, I'm being, you know, kind of condescending here. But when mm. you're talking to people and they're trying to convince you that there is no creator, the only thing that they actually bring to the table is doubts and mental gymnastics. That's why I very much despise that discourse. Sometimes you have to have it, but Sometimes, you know, even when you're discussing with atheists or people that are very affected by atheism, the only thing that they're bringing to the table is doubts, and then they back up and feel like they've accomplished something huge. But in actuality, they didn't bring any material. They didn't bring any truth. They just made you doubt, and they find that as a huge accomplishment. And then they start talking about how intellectual this way of thinking is, that you just question everything. And when you question even, everything... You're right. Even the doubt that they... Um, so if you look at... Descartes' epistemology of all so he brought something new that was like he was a mubtada' <laughs> philosophy <laughs> he was a big mubtada' his bid'ah was people used to have a kind of intuitive truths like just accept it as it is and he would come in and he'd say and his analogy was interesting he said um, if I tell you that there's here's a box of apples and some of them are rotten what will you do to find out the, the ones that are not rotten he said you will have to empty the box completely investigate each apple and then keep the ones that are good and throw the ones that are rotten away. Hmm. And he thinks, and that's his method. He's like, everything has to be doubted as a, a priori. To begin with, doubt everything. Don't believe anything you hear until you test it out and figure out and make sure that it's... So there's some validity to that. But there, the question that poses There's some validity, then, but even that example, I'm sorry, I, I, for a human to, 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 to make, uh, to use that as an example to find truth I feel is very flawed is because a human yes. by default, even as a child, the re one of the main reasons why we believe, you know, why, why we love our mothers and our parents at such a young age is because we trust them, right? Our lives mm -hmm. are built on trust, not on doubt. As a child, exactly. everything you're 
being taught. And even with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us the story of Adam alayhi salam, right? Teaching Adam alayhi salam the name of everything is to teach us that Adam alayhi salam trusted everything that Allah taught mm-hmm. him, right? But when shaitan mm-hmm. came and deceived him, he was not used to trickery, right? So he was actually tricked yes. into something. He didn't even know the concept of trickery. So shaitan tells yeah. him what? No, this is only if you two want to be angels. Then that's why Allah was saying not to approach the tree. But that was because he wasn't even used to the concept of trickery, which why he was tricked into it, right? And mm-hmm. and, and so us by human beings, by default, are trust beings that trust others, right? Yes. And I mean, but, I'll tell you a story. It's uh, My friend was, they made fun of me for this. I'm like, I'll tell you the story. So a friend of mine had his his wife gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and uh, we were in Canada at the time. And so he tells me, it's like, mashallah, and you know what? And so he, two of my friends together. And so he says, you know what? And the kid, she's he's from Saudi Arabia. So he's like, my daughter now has both a Canadian and a U.S. and a U.S. citizenship. I'm like, mashallah, <laughs> how did that happen? And he's like, yeah, she was born here in Canada, but the nurse was American. And so she got both a Canadian and American citizenship. <laughs> I swear to you, wallahi. Initially, I had like a good five seconds. I'm like, mashallah, I didn't know that they could do that. That's amazing. So they both look at me. I was like, are you serious? I'm like, is that, that didn't happen? It's like, so they, they laugh at me. It's like, ah, no, we're just kidding. It's, of course that doesn't happen. I'm like, that says something about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, you trusted them, dude. You know, I trusted you. I didn't think you would lie to me. Exactly. And you, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly my point. Which is why you yeah. have to learn not to get duped in the streets, right? You have yeah, to pick yeah, up yeah. that. You when you say, "Oh, somebody's street smart," what does that mean? Oh, you know, he's lived life, so now he's not going to fall into traps that are potentially there because he's used to trusting everybody as default, right? Which is why that yeah. example. I know that's a that's a. I know that's probably not what you meant by that example, but I was just thinking out loudly that deconstructing type of idea where you know taking the apples out of the baskets and doubting everything yeah that itself yeah. is not human that itself is not our our mortality is is to, is to doubt everything we're actually beings that depend on others to trust to, to build ourselves yeah. and to progress right well and, not just that it's like the question that came to my mind when i read that i was like renee man like what is the criteria that you're using to judge what is rotten mm, you're right you're already making assumptions about truth and you're already trusting in something and you're just moving the buck somewhere and just uh, for your own convenience. You didn't even plagiarize Ghazali properly. <laughs> plagiarize him properly. I like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, uh, the book, I'm glad we're talking about this topic, man. Al-Iqtisadu fil i'tiqad of Imam al-Ghazali. Yeah. You know, in the introduction, he brings up four types of people, right? Four types of iman. Yes. And the first person that he talks about is there's those people who believe in Allah. And they fully submit to Allah. And they're very content with their iman. And they don't need the science. He's talking about philosophy, right? And he's like, yep. they don't need this because now you're just going to disrupt them because they already have yep. something pure. And now you're giving them something to cause turmoil that shouldn't be there in the first place. Exactly. Right? And that's what that does exactly. is this mental gymnastics. This is what Imam Ghazali very much went through, right? And yep. because he was very content with his iman. But going and delving into philosophy, what it did to him was, right? What it did to him was it, it, it caused and it had there was a stirrup that wasn't supposed to occur, which is why at the end, after he writes the book, he says, I've come to the full conviction that this is only for a select elite group of people to study. The Ummah has no business going through any of this stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you know and, and then people will tell you that's elitist. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's there's there's reality to that, man, because you're there it's not even about truth and not truth. It's about that consciousness which is so powerful, the intellect of the human being is so powerful, it will develop a story to make you doubt something when you're actually when you actually never doubted in the first place. Exactly. Right? And that's, and that's why I, like I tell people don't don't bother with the stuff. Like I just people are oh, having doubts having this. The first questions I ask them, like, can you just tell me like what's going on with your prayer, with your fasting? With your acts of worship, you know that this is talbisu iblis. It makes you. He makes you think that you're the. So this is. Uh, how do you translate talbis? Um, uh, deception. The yeah. deception of iblis or something yeah. like that. So it's basically just trying to make you think that oh, I'm trying to get to. Um, uh, I'm trying to attain truth, and I'm just looking for evidence. And me being skeptical is I'm just you know going after the truth, and I'm studying it, and I want to get attain certainty, and in doing so. You get distracted from your own obligations. You don't actually practice the things that you need to practice. You don't do the things that you need to do, which is what Imam al-Ghazali pointed out in his uh, deliverance from error when he said that, you know, I studied all of the other writers. The only people, we want to talk about a scientific approach that attains you certainty. When he read for what he termed the Sufis, so the spiritual path, which is really just applying the, the sunnah of the Prophet properly in your life, he said, I found that I, there's only, there's lamafar. I have to actually do what they're saying for me to know whether it's true or not. And you have literally 1400 years of people doing what the Prophet ﷺ told them to do, and they're all certain. Yeah. So why don't you just go and go with that methodology? Science, every 100 years, not even now, every 50 years, theories get thrown out. People think one thing, then they believe something else. Well, we have 1,400 years of people doing something exactly. and telling you, if you do this, you will attain certainty. Well, you, you know, me and my, uh, me and Sheikh Hamar have a friend who is exactly going through this, and I'm scared to ask him after a few discussions whether he's even Muslim because it, it's, um, it seems like he's doing a lot of these intellectual gymnastics, and the, the line of um, reasoning that he's going towards, I... I I can spot it really easily that he's going down a very dangerous path. I got to tell you, from my experience, um, if, you, um, if you apply this stuff on your own self, if you are somebody who is always in prayer, always in dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, always in salawat of the Prophet sallam, you're always um, you're doing qiyamul layl, you're doing all of these things, and you're somebody who conducts himself as ibadul rahman, as Allah describes him in the Quran, and you're carrying yourself in that way, there is a, a non-verbal impact. You know, communication is, what do they say? 93% of it is non-verbal. Well, that non-verbal component is going to come from your own practice, from your own at, uh, application of all of these things in your own life. Hmm. And how you conduct yourself will impact that person. And I've seen that in numerous examples. People that have all these doubts, you know how they maintain their doubts? By limiting their interaction physically with you. They will stay on text message they will stay on Facebook messaging. They really will send you emails. But the idea of interacting you person to person, if they feel that you are impacting them, impacting them in that way where they start to doubt their own doubts, because that's really what they're going to experience, they're going to limit their interaction because they want to maintain that sense of skepticism. And by being with you, they lose it. That's and I've so been around some shiuch. Mm. Man, so you're just like... La ilaha illallah. Like there's, there's all the questions you have, all the doubts you have, they dissipate just by being in their presence. You know, and that's why I think it's very worthy of mentioning right now why that original uh, uh, discussion, discourse happened between Imam Bukhari and and his contemporaries of 
you know, and that's why his, his the initial chapter of his is designed as such, is that your actions do affect your iman, right? The original discussion mm-hmm. was that discourse that you have iman and that's it. Your actions don't affect it. Yeah, you may fall short in your actions, but you're always going to have your belief in Allah. But Imam Bukhari, yeah. on the contrast, on the contrary, says that your actions affect your iman. And if your actions are in accordance with Allah, your iman in Allah, your belief in Allah increases and your strength with Allah increases. And if your actions are no longer with Allah, then your relationship with Allah is no longer there, right? That's yeah. that's the first thing. The second thing is as far as people saying, man, I'm having doubts and stuff. One of the things that I've realized with children between the age of 14 and about 22, 23 is that a lot of times they're actually not having doubts. One example, or actually a few examples is I've met some teenagers, I've met some people over the age of 20 where I talked to them, I said, okay, you're sure you're having doubts? And sometimes they just need some reinforcement by just simple words. Listen, you're not having doubts. All right? Just yeah. And they're <laughs> yes. like, first I start off with that and tell them, listen, you're not having doubts. Do you believe Allah has one? Yeah. How do you know that, right? By looking at the evidence yeah. all around you, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala left evidence, right? Does this all come from nothing? No, it doesn't. Okay, so you mm-hmm. believe in Allah, mm-hmm. right? Yes, of course. Do you believe that Allah sends messengers as human beings so we can actually relate to them so when they give us a message, it's an easy layering for us to accept? Yes. Do you believe Muhammad Sallallahu is the final messenger? Yes. Then there's no doubts, right? It's like, no, then then you talk into what they're, what, what they're actually doubting, what where the doubting comes about. It all comes back to this mental gymnastics is people that they discuss with are happy with bringing doubts to the table and leaving and not coming up with solutions. That's a play. Mm. That's that's actually it's an it's actually very evil uh, uh, way of, of having a discourse. Is you're not bringing any truth to the table. You're bringing doubts to the table. You think that's a very intellectual thing to do, and you leave. Right. Well, that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. You dis- you deconstruct without any reconstruction. There's no reconstruction, like you said. That's that's the dilemma. And we've given platforms to people who think that they're very smart. Yeah, we think that they're very smart. They're yeah. not actually smart. Right. That's actually the opposite of intellect. That's actually the opposite of 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 uh, of what a, a healthy mind does. Right. Mm-hmm. A healthy mind comes uh, comes to the table to solve problems. Not to bring about problems and then leave and thinking that they did something smart, right? Yeah. So there's a couple of points you guys have been talking about the last 20 minutes or so. There's two terms here. There's belief and knowledge, right? So I mm. was I read um, uh, I don't Muhammad. Have you read uh, Sea Without Shore? No, I haven't. I haven't uh, managed to get my hand on a copy. Oh, really? I actually read it over during it's gaff. I plowed through it, but Mashallah. there is yeah. a concept within like this seems like the Sufis like seems to talk about a lot is the whole concept of we all as Muslims believe that Allah is our creator and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah etc right right? but then there's this concept of like let's say for example it's like for example you always talk about your mom right in our conversations Mm. right so I know that your mom exists so I know but you know your mom you follow what I'm saying and then there's this level with the Sufis called Marifa which is like like knowledge it's beyond just belief which drive mm. so when you read the stories when in the beginning of the, the first part of the book, Sheikh News talking about all these like five like Oliya that he's met in his life, and when you're mm. reading these the stuff they're doing, you're like, and I was explaining to um you know non-Muslim because there were some of my friends at work were asking about like my experience at Itikaf and so I was sharing them, and I was telling them, and one of them was asking like, can I read the book? 
And I was like, this book is too heavy for you. You're not even Muslim yet. This book is too heavy for you. Yeah. You cannot handle this stuff. <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean? I was like, because some of the stuff is going to be like, these guys are so, the stuff they do is so ridiculous as far as like their practice and yeah. whatnot. I was like, you only do that if you have Marifa. Wait, so mm. wait, he, he's met Olia? Sheikh Nu? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, uh, so how do you identify that? I'm I, just wondering. I don't know. I'm not Sheikh Nuh. How would you identify someone who's a wali of Allah? Based on the Sharia, are they somebody who uh, applies, as Imam Al Junaid said, who has not memorized the Quran and has mastered the Sunnah, then they let them not speak about this affair of ours. We do not pay attention to any miraculous things that is irrelevant. We don't pay attention to any uh, uh, any things that are out of the ordinary. The only thing you have is, is this person upright? Does this person apply the Quran and the Sunnah in their life? And if they do, they're a wali of Allah. Yeah, I, th- I think what, what Mahina is referring to is sometimes people, they they see somebody and they believe that they're a wali. They, they've given them a certain level of wilaya that only Allah knows, right? Everyone knows that. That's, if, that, that's line, why I'm even, confused. Even a wali doesn't know that he's a wali of Allah subhanahu wa exactly, ta'ala. Right? Yeah. Even a wali of Allah doesn't know that he's a wali of Allah, right? But mm-hmm. we don't... The, the, the thing that Dr. Ghilan mentioned is very important is that those who are very adherent to the Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah together, like Rasulullah yeah. even in the Hadith of Rabbi Nawi, he says what? Man adali waliyan, right? Whoever mm. shows enmity towards my wali, right? What has mm. he done? He's declared war on Allah, or Allah is mm. declaring war on them. So, which brings, which is supposed to bring to our attention something, is number one, we don't know who Allah's wali is. It can mm-hmm. be a very, very impoverished person or a family or a woman or a man they're very very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're very very much in tune with their creator and you may oppress them and you don't know that you're you you do not know that they're a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. that's the reason why the hadith is there's ambiguity in the hadith the style of the hadith is Rasulullah is letting us he didn't tell us who those people are he told mm-hmm. us that they are there and be very careful on whose toes you step on because they may be a wali of Allah and if you hurt their feelings or if you hurt them then Allah is saying it's on. I mean, I know it's a little scary to think about that, but mm. if you mess with these people, then you have no mercy yeah. from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the reason why I'm mentioning that is, first, I mean, from what I understand, Wallahu alam, we can't say for sure somebody's a wali. You can say, you know, if you see and they remind you of Allah, and like you mentioned, if you're, there's some people in their presence, it's almost as if all of your doubts and anything are just obliterated by being right, in their right. presence because of their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so strong. And their relationship mm. with Allah is so strong. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows that to rub off on you basically that's the first thing the second thing is that there's individuals in this world that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them some some uh, um, aura if you want to say that it reminds mm-hmm. you of Allah just when you see them even from a distance right but even then we say inshallah these are the awliya of Allah like inshallah yeah. someone's a shaheed but we don't know for, yeah because that person still might end up yeah. in like and even the person who's a wali yeah. something you'll realize is some of those people who are so pious they actually believe that they're the worst of creation. Right, right. Was, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, think about Umar radiallahu anh. He, he goes to Hudayfa in his khilafa. He says, listen, he strong arms him. Listen, I'm your khalifa. Was <laughs> I on that list that Muhammad sallallahu mentioned 70 of the hypocrites? Right, right. 
I mean, that's that's a true wali of Allah. So, so, so I guess I mean, I'll, yeah. so this this we were I'll, I'll shit Muhammad. I'll tell you we, we were chat the three of us were chatting last night at like three in the morning, and then Sim <laughs> was uh so <laughs> Sim told uh. Uh, me that like dang it Amr and Mahin I was thinking about you guys uh, during my Fajr Salah was screwing me up I was like mashallah Sakara Mat, you saw the awliya in your vision <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that means uh, me, I'm not at least cause I, I, I attributed wilayah to myself <laughs> yeah. I think well, Amr might being, still qualify you being part of the rebellious group of East Pakistan negates any I, 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 I actually call out the Kharajites of East Pakistan <laughs> <laughs> you've disassociated yourself from them those fish bones, I can't do that, fish man. Bones. We we traded Nahari for fish bones. For real, give me a break. <laughs> Ooh boy, I hope there's no uh, diehard historians that are that feel very strong about this. <laughs> Hear this, because they're gonna go off on you, son. It's all good. I just block them <laughs> or delete the post. I don't even know how we got there. <laughs> Anyways, no, but uh, no, that's, the, why, that's why you're on the mad bum. But the concept of whole, I think, I think, I think it's trying to understand. Like, there's, cause it seems to be as Muslims. Like by default, a lot of Muslims are like we start with belief, right? But then, you, mm. and you talked about the concept, which is really interesting—the whole concept of looking around us and, like, like for example, the fajr and like the night and etc. Right? So one thing mm. I, it reminded me—I was in Philadelphia for work, like I don't know, like five, six weeks ago. And the thing about Philadelphia is that there is a um, an absurd amount of homelessness. Compared to any mm. other city I've seen in America, it's like third world level. Like wow. they've got like rows and rows of people just camped out there. And then I remember, um, I have one of the nights I happened to just recite Surah Al-Fajr, and I and I was reciting the verse where they where he's talking about how the people of uh, Firaun and Thamud and they they were neglectful to the um to the orphans and then the poor. They didn't care mm. for the poor. And that reading it then. Affected me in a way I've never read it before. Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was thinking about all the people, and I remember some, you know, just be, you're like pulled to like give to these people at the time. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know, they, they might have drug problems, who knows? I normally, Chicago, you just pass it by them. But like the prevalence yeah. of it was so like dire, I thought, was, uh, was interesting. So I, I, I but the thing that people talk about a lot, and you talked about a lot on your own podcast, is that. There is this intellectual, the intellectual rationale behind proving God and understanding God takes you only so far. You have to start yeah. practicing to get to that next level, that next paradigm. Yeah. yeah. And it's not for everyone either because there's a lot of people that believe, right? It's only for that other group of people that Imam Ghazali also talks about is where their mind is something that has somewhat become too, I don't want to say too powerful for their own good, but it there it's kind of, it, they don't know how to use it properly. It's intent. It's 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 untamable for them, right? Right, because like 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 your grandma, right? She's not gonna have any yeah, doubts. He describes it as medicine. Imam Ghazali describes it as medicine for those people. Yes, they, exactly. Yeah. Because they that's what they're kind of woman. You know, she didn't need any of this stuff. Of course not. Of course not. Because that it's it's finding Allah through simplicity is the easiest and most satisfying way of finding Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You don't even need yeah. to find. You know, right? Um, well, the, the the idol of this age is the intellect. You know, gone are the times of Hubal and and Ad and Wood and Suwa and all of these idols that people used to prop up and worship. This age is the age of intellectual idolatry. We construct theories and 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 ideas, and we come up with narratives or whatever, and then we believe our own constructs. We believe that what we say is true, 
And yeah. we use that to judge everything else. And it's that becomes start. our source of morality, our source of truth, and our source of, uh, you know, do and don't do, which is really what worship is. So our intellect has become the aid, the modern idol. Um, and so you have to kind of remember what the, the role of the intellect is not to um, come up with things in new. The intellect and rationality is to work with what's out available to you already. Mm. Yes. I was and distinguish between it. Yeah, what was it? So like, but the point about like our grandmothers, right? If you like went to our villages in like Bangladesh or Hyderabad or whatever, and you start mm-hmm. telling them like doubts about Islam, like Ali Rizvi <laughs> or somebody, <laughs> and they'd be like, they just look at you like crooked. No, they but, don't look at you crooked. They hit you with the. They hit but you at the, the same purpose. time, I was just gonna say like, forget about that. Even my own mother is now about to slap me sometimes <laughs> but, if she hears me talk. But and... check this out though. <laughs> it, 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 don't like Bible thumping Christians say the same thing. That you just don't know. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Like, even the intellectual reasoning, like, they won't be like, well, like, they say they have certainty that Jesus Christ gave them salvation, right? So, how, mm. so, so isn't that like, don't we open up that ki- living in America? I mean, this is, I feel like there's no other religion other than the Christians, like, a, a hardcore Christian would say that. Like, you get into a debate with them, there's, like, I just, I just know. Like, no, nothing you tell me can change that. Yeah, but I think that's the difference between knowing and, and, and believing is that when you say something that is actually not true, right? They're saying something that's not true. The Holy Spirit's within me, and I've seen, or they say, yeah. I talk to God. And we know, right, universally understood uh, a fact that nobody is actually talking to God. We know that there's no spirit, you know, unless if it's a jinn or something, but that's something else. But if they, it comes inside of them and it's like it speaks for us, so I know for sure. But do you actually know? What does what is knowing now, right? And well, I are, know what Mahin is saying. It's like he's talking about because if you if you've seen some of those guys, they speak with such utter conviction. Oh like, yeah, it's a great act. I, I absolutely it. know. Yeah. Um, and it's I I have to be honest. I you know with these individuals, there is an element of truth in Christianity. It's like the problem that we have when we talk to Christians or any other religion is that we assume off right that it's all false. Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's what you're asking a Christian to do when you when you're telling them Islam is the way is to make adjustments to their belief system. We're not even asking them to reject Jesus Christ. We're like, no, no, Jesus Christ is there, or the Virgin Mary, all of that is there. Yes. We just you just need to stop talking about you know the the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is where we have a problem, yeah. not in anything else other than that. Um, and so what what they feel, what they experience as true are the true elements of Christianity. And for you to try to deny them that is actually unjust. You're right. I like it. Because also, isn't it the whole thing where you, we, um, because when they pray to what they call God the Father, that's Allah, right? Yeah. And so I've always yes. understood that Allah, no, no matter who the person is, every human being is a creation of Allah. And if that human being calls on Allah, then Allah will not, like, neglect that human being, right? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why you even have like, um, and the, this is why I heard another like clip from uh from I've been after see without sure I've been binging on anything from Sheikh New that I can get, but he was talking about somebody asked him a question mm. about non-Muslim mystics and their like spiritual elevation, and he's like, well, listen, ah. the soul is a kind of like the human being is a kind of mechanism with the body and the soul that if you like put the body the needs of the body in check and the soul elevates like a monk. Right. Like there's this guy in the UK named uh, Jay Shetty. He's like this Indian dude who spent like five years living as a monk. And, uh, you know, it was like like they will achieve some kind of spiritual like, you know, high, 
because they they're, they're doing what is necessary to elevate the soul, regardless of their faith. Mm. They it doesn't mm-hmm. get them anywhere necessarily. At the end of the day, it's like, or they might know God, but Iblis knew God too. So that's what he's kind of getting to at the end of the yeah. day. You know, the well, whole point. Do you think he's actually? But you also have to keep. Yeah. No, I'm just wondering, like, some of these mystics that are from other religions, um, are they? Are they just uh, triggering certain neural responses or chemical responses that may occur in the brain that um, may be similar to what other Muslim mystics? Or is this all like, um, you know, the same? Are they pushing the same buttons to get the, the same response? Well, even if you, um, I'm sure if you try to look at Muslim mystics, it would be the same thing. It's correlation, not causation. Um, that your neural responses are going to be there, dopamine being released and serotonin and whatnot. But, um, you have to keep in mind that uh, Allah's mercy is so vast that even when it comes to polytheism and idolatry, he he predicates it on something, on knowledge. Do not associate mar- partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa antum ta'lamun. Knowingly. So there is, We were not going to punish anybody until we send a messenger. And so... Uh, looking at people today, even to this day, I'm meeting people in prominent metropolitan cities. The the movement of disinformation and misinformation is so powerful that even in a setting like a university, you can come across students, even when they try to search for the truth, when they go to the library, they're exposed to books that are not telling them the truth. They're written by, uh, you know, extremist evangelicals who are trying to, who claim that, for example, and I've seen this at the University of Victoria myself, Christians distributing books that claim that Muslims worship a moon god and it's a lat and it was just a word that was kind of messed up a little bit to say it's a law. And so they, it's, and in a university setting. So what else do you want from somebody that's looking for truth and they're doing what they can with whatever information that they have just to be fair to people, you know, they're, they're trying and that's what they come across. And so when they reject it, they're actually rejecting falsehood. Mm. They're not rejecting Islam. They're rejecting a vision of Islam that they were presented, which was false. And that's what Imam al-Ghazali talks about in Fasal Tafriqa. Some people who are non-Muslim that reject Islam, it's because they were presented with a with a, an idea of Islam that actually contradicts the fitra itself. And so those people from Imam al-Ghazali's perspective, he says, according to the mercy of Allah and what's said in the Quran and his understanding of the Sunnah, these people would also be saved. They would not be uh, put into paradise because you're now, you can't, uh, you, you know, they're being given an obligation that is above their means now. They went, they looked, they sought, they went to the right places, they looked in the library, and with all of that, they still found books that were misinformation, and they, this is what they made their decision based on. What else do you want from them? Mm. Yeah, Sheikh Uthay Min Rahimullah is a similar fatwa. I think somebody asked him about the uh, people in America, like middle of nowhere, and he, and he they were having the conversation, and and they were like, well, he was like, well, the only exposure they had to Muslims, they never met anybody, is just like the media, and like what they see on TV and terrorism, etc. And then mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, of course. He's like, that would also apply to them. So, you, just to be, you have to, the thing is about when, when we talk about punishment and stuff, the Quran is speaking, the Quran was revealed to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and by extension, it's addressing us as well. Individually. So when you read in the Quran and you recite verses that relate to punishment and entrance into the hellfire and descriptions of people that will go into that, your first position is this is Allah talking to you directly. 
So if you adopt these behaviors, if you adopt these beliefs, this is where you will end up. Before you start talking about other people, look into your own self first. Then beyond that, look at these qualities as abstract descriptions, not related to individuals. Because you don't know what people know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who knows what's in the heart. Even shaitan doesn't know what's in the heart. Shaitan doesn't know why people are doing what they're doing. Shaitan whispers, tries to persuade, but he doesn't know exactly this is the reason why. Is the person just being arrogant and rejecting truth because they're just a straight up active form of kufr? Or is this person struggling with something and they've had experiences and their, their previous associations with religion have always been negative? Um, and so they rejected because of that. They, th these are difficult things that people tackle. And um, I go from the principle of charity. You know, give people the benefit of the doubt. And if I, in my heart, find enough mercy that to give excuses to people, maybe they just don't know. Maybe they got the wrong idea. Maybe they just didn't understand. If I have that, hmm. well, I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much more merciful than I can ever be. So I'm okay. I'm not like, Allah, you're not more merciful than Allah. And you're not more just than Allah. So just let it be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These things with regards to non-Muslim Muslim, they're actually about us in this world right now with regards to legal rulings. Can you marry a non-Muslim? What about burial rights, inheritance? These are the things that we deal with for this world. This is, these, categorization, <clears throat> these categorizations are for us for now just to facilitate our fiqh, not to facilitate our judgments over people's hereafter. So in that case, what, someone could have asked, like, let's say there's someone who's a Muslim, who's a convert, and um, their parents passed away, and they're, they died upon, apparently, kufr. Then, you know, they would say on that trying of thought, I should be able to ask Allah for their, you know, you know protection in the hereafter. I just, uh, you know what, the position of the scholars, as far as I understand it, is that you do not play for a disbeliever, but if you look in the Qur'an... With regards to Ibrahim alayhi salam, when it become very clear to him that his father or his uncle, depending on the position that you take, um, was this is this is a straight up act of kufr. That's when he did bara'a from him. That's when he dissociated from him. So there is always this. It's always predicated on knowledge in the Quran that and clear dis description and criterion. Um, you're not going to, um, even if you pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let's say you're a convert and you say, oh Allah, please forgive them. You're not going to go to hell for praying for somebody because you thought that maybe Allah will forgive them or whatever. You don't know any of this stuff. So I just let people be. I don't actually get into these things. You want to pray for your parents? Go ahead and pray for your parents. I'm not, it's not the end of the world. I'm not trying to uh, water down the religion in that sense. But the, I'm acknowledging my own ignorance of the state of your parents. I don't know what they knew. You don't know what they know. You don't know why they decided to be the way that they are. You don't know what they thought about Islam. You, you really don't know. Unless they've actively fought against you and shown you animosity and all of that stuff, you just don't know. It's all with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Allah says in the, in the Quran, and this is, not, this is the problem with perennialists. Perennialists take it a little bit too far. In the Quran, Allah says with regards to the Jews and the Majins and the Christians and whoever believes in, the, in Allah on the day after, um, 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's going to yafsilu baynahum. He's the one who's going to determine between them for what they were differing upon. And those who had belief in Allah and the, the day of judgment, la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanun, there will be no fear upon them and there is no sadness over them, there's no sorrow over them. Um, so in other words, Allah will take care of them. You look at the tafsir, they'll tell you, oh, it's about people that have come before Islam and then once Islam has come, it abrogates. You can see all of these different opinions, but at the end of the day, it's Allah's business, this is not my domain. Now a non-Muslim who's feeling like they want to pray for their parents and just, you know what, I'm not going to restrict the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of, uh, you know, just to push a particular ruling on somebody. If they feel emotionally driven to do that, I'm not going to say yes or no, I'm just going to let them be. I'm not going to interject myself and tell them what to do. I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard for me. The hardest thing for people to do with religion is that you want to maintain this balance between asserting the truth of your faith, that this is the truth, this is the Salat al-Mustaqim. There is no other way. But then look even at the verse, the way that it's, uh, the way that Allah revealed it. So there is this active component to it that you are seeking. Whoever seeks other than Islam for a religion. All right, what about people who were born into something? This is how they were conditioned all their lives. They've had all of these prejudices and biases and all of this psychological baggage that they have with regards to religious belief and the education system, which is really more of an indoctrination system. And you've got all of these things that you need to work through. And top it off with our terrible representation as Muslims, because at the end of the day, we're, we're terrible representatives of the religion. We're not acting right. If you look at the, the social security and welfare systems, the, the amount of frauds that Muslims commit with regards to that. Uh, if you look at the bribery, if you look at Muslim countries, the state that we're in, at the end of the day, we are our own undoing. We can't blame, you can't, we can talk about and break down colonization and the foreign powers and all that, but at the end of the day, like so we put oppressors over other oppressors because of what they were earning. So the reason Muslims are in the state that we're in right now is because we are oppressors ourselves and Allah put oppressors over us. Allah is not going to change the condition of a people until they change what's within themselves. So I'm big on this. Let's take responsibility for our own, affair, our own affairs and our own state the way that we are and the representation that we give of Islam to people. And it's a, a poor one at that. So it's very difficult. You know, Put yourself in the other person's shoes. If you're a non-Muslim, and all you see from Muslims and, and about Islam in the media and in, in your daily interactions are all of these negative stereotypes and things. And you're just, you're being a good person, you're, let's say you are a Christian, you're a believing Christian, you're a Catholic, you're whatever, and you're doing as best as you can. And you believe in that. And what you were pre presented with with Islam was just something that turned your fitrah, I'm not talking about your arrogance or anything, just your fitrah was turned off by that. Because it was oppressive towards Women, let's say, you saw domestic abuse, you saw a lot of uh, corruption, you saw all of that, and you just rejected that. And what you find in your religion is serenity, truth, calmness, peace. You see from your church that you're the ones who are doing charitable work, you're the ones feeding the homeless, you're doing all of these things. So you're the most beloved of all people to Allah is the one who's bringing the most benefit to people. So you're doing all of these things, you're experiencing spiritual elevations from the activities that you're doing, and then you pass away. You worked with what you had. This is the information that you had and you did as best as you could and you sought. You, even if it was mistaken, you were seeking Allah's pleasure as best as you could with whatever information that you had. If I as a human being, a limited human being, I'm able to see through all of that and give you the benefit of the doubt. I'd be like, you know what? 
you were sincere at least. You tried. Do your best. And there were all these factors that just prevented you from seeing the light of Islam as it should be seen. And that's why like now even, you know, like um, the podcast I'm going to be releasing in a couple of weeks with regards to homosexuality and stuff. It is unfair the way that even Muslims now are, become, are going about it. It is totally unfair to non-Muslims who are engaged in all kinds of uh, activities and lifestyles that are condemned in Islam, that are punishable, that whole people were destroyed by, Qawmulut were literally destroyed by it in the Quran. It is unfair for Muslims now to approach this stuff and talk about it in a wishy-washy way and let people kind of like, oh, it's fine, it's all good, you know, there's ambiguities about this and, and treat it like it's okay. What are you going to do on the Day of Judgment when these people come and ask you, you were a Muslim, you had the Quran and you had the Sunnah and you had all of the truth and you didn't tell me anything because you thought you would hurt my feelings. Mm. And so the way that we're approaching all of this stuff is really problematic. And it, I get emotional about it because I'm afraid for my own sake on the Day of Judgment when, Allah, when I'm afraid to see people on the Day of Judgment that I know. It concerns me and it gets me really emotional because I want to share something. But at the same time, I, I have this element of trepidation because, oh, you know, like what, you have the truth. Act right, man. Like what's wrong with you? Just act right and be right and everything will be fine. And, and just be a proof of Islam walking just on your own. You don't have to talk about it. You just act right. And when you're asked, answer clearly. Don't w be wishy-washy about it. Anyways, sorry. And, no, no, please, man. And as far as this podcast is concerned, you said you're releasing in what, three weeks? Um, um, so this coming week is a Q&A one and then the one following it, inshallah. Two okay. weeks, inshallah. So like, so let me ask you something. So I, th I think we would generally agree. I would, I, I don't want to put words in people's mouth, but like the atheists have doubt themselves. That's part of their whole like, <laughs> like worldview. Right. But like, yeah, do, do, don't you, do, do you believe that like a, a, a practicing Christian or a Jew or someone of another faith tradition? that they don't have some kind of doubt whether they admit it or not, and that's something that, that deep down inside is gnawing at them because they're upon something that isn't true? One of the companions, I can't remember the name of it, maybe Sheikh Hamer can remind me, but um, he, was, he was walking out and, and he was in a, in a very bad state. And Abu Bakr Sadiq who saw him, and he said to him, what's wrong with you? And he said, I th I'm thinking of things that I would rather fall from the sky than to utter with my tongue. And Abu Bakr Siddiq who understood what he was talking about, said, Me too. Let's oh, go to the Messenger of Allah. Huh? Was that the, the hadith of Hanzala? Uh, yeah, Hanzala. Yes, yes, yes. And so they, yeah, and so they go to the Messenger of and let him know. And he said, That's belief. That's Now you're in a state of yaqeen now. That's, it's because you're experiencing these things. It's when you don't have any doubts whatsoever. That's when you should have a problem. You need to always be in the state of questioning and concern about your state. That's consciousness. That's you becoming, that's preventing you from falling in a state of ghafla. So it's totally fine for you to be in that state and, and to have these doubts, whether you're a Christian or Muslim or whatever. And that's what drives you towards confirming, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? So I, I don't know the commentary in the hadith, but like, couldn't it be sometimes where the companions were concerned about like their, their salvation yeah their iman, right actually the relationship with Allah. or if they would die upon islam right these kind yeah. of things not necessarily whether like so when you because when you hear that you could look at it from one way is like like uh is islam true maybe is this all a game right is this a scam that we're just getting duped like are that in, thought are we in the matrix right something <laughs> like that like these <laughs> random thoughts cross your head right 
And that's it, where that's where practice comes in. That's where you have to. I mean, I ask people in Ramadan, do you feel these things? So far, I have not come across a single person that tells me in Ramadan they feel these things. And they always attribute it to, but shaitan is tied up. And that's why I'm not getting whisperings and so I'm feeling good. No, it's because in Ramadan, you are much more uh, diligent with your prayers. You are reciting Quran all the time. You're praying at night. You're doing dhikr whenever you have free time. It's because you're engaged in all of the right things. And so that's where you got your certainty from. It's not because shaitan is not around. It's because you're doing your part. And during the rest of the time, the rest of the year, you're not. You're just doing the bare minimum. Yeah, and, and so just if one you want clarification. To, oh, sorry, go ahead. So if you want to eliminate that type of doubt, there is no religion that has the elements of acts of worship prescribed from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, through Jibreel, alayhi salam, from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do it like this, and this is how you can connect with me, as Allah will tell you. That's what salah is called. Salah is the connection. It's from salah. It's to connect with Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot be in a state of salah and feel doubts after that if you do it properly. And, and you know, I, just a, a clarification uh, as far as, I heard many khatibs say this too during Ramadan also that, you know, there is no shaitan that's here in Ramadan. No, it's Iblis that's locked up, the ringleader. Yeah. The head hancho, he's the one that's yeah. locked up. There's still shayatin there, but they're not as effective, but they're still there, right? The, yeah. the little minions are around. It's kind of like if Sim got locked up with those me and Sheikh Amr running around. <laughs> you know, uh, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I were the mad Mamluks. Some people going to the kaf, I get locked up. <laughs> That's true. Think, it was actually good when Mahin was in the kaf. Everything was better when Mahin was in the kaf. Where we go wrong with a lot of these discussions and and why they feel unsatisfactory to a lot of even the listeners. I'm sure some of them are going to be unsatisfied with this. Of course. It's because there is this element of practice that people just, for whatever reason, refuse to do. It's like somebody that wants to sit down on YouTube. The way I look at it, you sit down on YouTube, you look, you watch Generation Iron, you watch uh, Nick's Strength and Power channel, you watch all of the workout stuff, you watch all the diet stuff, you listen to Joe Rogan with all the different dietary recommendations, uh, you read all of the different articles on dieting and working out, you download all the workout routines, you assess and analyze all the different workout routines, you read papers, you go to PubMed, you even you, you elevate your level, your game up a little bit, you go to PubMed. You download papers on workout and protein synthesis and how many 48 hours or 72 hours and if you fast this long or that long or how <laughs> like how it impacts you and all of these things. Like you me. come up with the best workout routine yeah. and in nowhere in any of this stuff had you gone to a gym. Nope. No one wants to put the work yeah, in. Yeah, no. I, I'm, I'm, the biggest, I'm the biggest advocator of like – Intermittent fasting and dieting, but I'm still a fat slob. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's funny because like, he, the, so the, 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 we're not that fat. We, 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 we have a, f a friend of ours named Wally Khan, right? Well, Wally's like a big into like health and fitness, right? Mm -hmm. But he yeah. follows like this ma like eat like the macro like um if it meets your macro kind of like diet. He's always been like that, right? And so I remember yeah. when I was doing ketogenic diet like a year and a half ago. And I was on it for like a, like a week, yeah. and I was telling him how his thing was wrong, <laughs> even though this guy like. <laughs> and here we are talking about fitness, and I got a pizza and wings order on the way. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's, I ordered it while the show. That, that's that's the interesting part of the human being, right? Uh, as long as it's contained within our cranium, it's very enticing. It's very nice, but that's where action amal is the is is the shortcoming, right? Putting action, putting in the work is the most difficult part, which is why it's much easier to think about it and talk about it. Right? Yeah. It doesn't always mean that you're a munafiq. It doesn't always mean you're a hypocrite. It just means that you're lazy. Right? Well, it's like we were, we were talking about offline. We were talking about offline. So, like, remember, um, 
like so Mohammed and I were we were just chit chatting before the show about how so you guys mentioned uh, my itikaf how you guys got you you guys are iman went up because I was an itikaf. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but one thing is I didn't tell anybody um you know that I I didn't tell I think I mentioned on the pot one of our mid, Ramadan roundtable podcasts that I was gonna like kind of do it but. I didn't like go blast it to like everybody that I thought might try to get a hold of me. Like my wife knew. I figured it was bad enough someone would like Facebook. Ma- I thought maybe Noreen would have like uh forgotten or something and uh try to get a hold of me. It was like oh she can mention my wife and find out that like you know hey I'm not available for a podcast or something right. Yeah. Not a big deal. But but I think I didn't tell anybody because I was like worried that I I made the intention for it, but I wasn't sure if something would pop up that would force me to break it. You follow what I'm saying? And then you yeah. like tell all these people like yo I'm gonna do nine day itikaf <sighs> and I and I and I and I did it without with, like even taking my smartphone in and all that stuff and if I told if I announced that like I didn't know if I was gonna like midway through like tell some kid like hey go to it's my car really- and get my smartphone I'm, I'm I'm like having withdrawal I'm like having like you know like like what was those things the convulsions because <laughs> I don't have uh, Instagram you gotta put into work I mean the way I look at it is um, Muslims most of us uh, we're like somebody who takes steroids but doesn't go to the gym. Yes, Allah. <laughs> we recite the Quran. Many memorize the Quran even. Look at the hadith, recite the hadith, you know, teach it even. But when it comes to application, nothing. Yeah. You're just like somebody who takes steroids and doesn't go to the gym. It's not going to make you big. I mean, people that uh, look at people's, oh, he's on steroids. That's why he's that big. No, the guy's busting his butt in the gym. He's working out really hard. The steroids are helping him synthesize protein faster and grow a little bit bigger. But without that resistance, without actually working out and watching his diet properly, they're not going to do anything. So same thing with this stuff. If any of the, any of the listeners that are going through these things and, and wondering, and you know what? There's a fascinating verse that also scares me. Um, it's from Surah Az-Zumar. وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ إِشْمَأَزَّتْ قُلُوبُ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ الَّذِينَ مِن دُونِهِ إِذَا هُمْ يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ when Allah is mentioned by Himself, those who do not believe in the in the uh, day after, in the in the final day, their hearts will become a little bit. Um, they will shrink. And when anything other than Allah is mentioned, you'll find them joyful. In other words, when I tell you, Allah says His Messenger says, "Do this, do this, do that. Don't do that. Don't do that." Your heart feels a little bit of a constriction. And when I tell you about all these different philosophers and consciousness and certainty and discussions and Descartes and Bertrand Russell and let's talk about all these different philosophers, you're happy. You're joyous. You want to hear more about it. You want to discuss more. Yeah. There's that irritation that kind of comes in your ear, right? Like I, I remember until um, uh, someone close to me pointed out to me uh, a few years ago, like, hey, you notice like when I keep on reminding you about uh, doing this one now or doing that like you get kind of irritated, like, like mm-hmm. oh he he noticed. I'll just give an example. Like, um, I was drinking glass of water with my left hand instead of my right hand, right? And mm. and I, he saw some frustration in my in my eyes. Like he pointed out to me, like you know, it's kind of bugging you when I'm saying this, right? I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's kind of annoying when you you keep on pointing yeah. it out to me. Isn't that drinking with the urine of Satan? What? When you drink water with your left hand, I, I, I heard that before once. Is that true? I don't know if that's true. Anyways, sorry, well, but, sorry, but anyway, but but, but, but what way. he's just talking about, you know, that that irritation of 
No, no, it happens, dude. And you know what, what it is? I think there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's a checking point, right? What you guys are very much talking about of being annoyed. And this is Allah tells us about this. Anything Allah tells us about ourselves in the Quran, he's telling us about ourselves to teach us who we are. So we have a stronger relationship with Allah. And yeah. he's, he's telling us of, of he's basically just telling us who we are. And we didn't know that unless it was for Allah. So the first thing is that the reason why we we sense that is that's the litmus test is when I'm reminded of obeying the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Am I getting annoyed or am I running towards it and am I trembling in fear? If we're getting annoyed, which is probably a majority of the human beings, is and that mm. means we have a lot to work on as far as our nafs and controlling uh, uh, our, our feelings and our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and... Mm. and, and but, if, but you know what's really annoying though? Huh? Some people's... Uh, Adhan reminders. They have the most terrible body. <laughs> no, no, like no, no. Blaring. <laughs> no. It's just really. No. Pick I, a good body. I think we should I won't have a separate get podcast. Of, we should have a separate podcast of the masjids should choose a good mu'adhan. And if he's not good, just have a child dude who has a good adhan. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes the, the adhan that's. No, we'll I'm, talk just, talking, I'm just talking about the phone the apps. apps. I know, I know you are. Yeah, and, and well, yeah, that, that's but... true as well. That there are some masjids <laughs> that have like a, a an 80 year old man who can barely speak. <laughs> and I'm not the best speaker. I'm I'm just saying, Sounds like, like, well, like this, this is like the most inviting call to Islam, and you have like an 80 year old man who's just barely breathing. <laughs> oh my uh, god were you here last week or something <laughs> no i go to the small masjid for juma near my workplace man i don't know why they i i think it's just out of respect like they they push this man up there like hey say the other i'm like man this could be somebody's i could be bringing uh, a co-worker to the masjid uh, and having him hear this thing that the, he's that's called the other <laughs> Man, that, honestly so, though, like uh, we have the same situation in our masjid here, the I one that I go this. to, anyways. And um, I always feel a sense of shame when I get these thoughts because when he finishes the adhan, he does the dua after the adhan, and you can sense the love of the Prophet ﷺ in his heart when he says, "Allahu the way that he makes a dua, you feel like the weight of the years of him making that dua. And so for me, it's like, you know what? Do the adhan, man. Like, I, I know it's terrible and your voice is cracking and you're just, <laughs> but just the dua at the end, you're like, you can tell that this person loves the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And so you're like, all right, I'm just going to be quiet. Yeah, you know, that's one thing that like, um, that now that we're on this, we digress a little bit. It's we like, should... I, <laughs> no, in Ramadan, like, so like sometimes, you know, it's back to the ego thing, right? Because I think a lot of times, we talked about about like when you're getting advice from somebody, right? Sometimes it's there's a couple of things. It depends. If Sheikh Amr gave me advice on something, I'd probably listen to it. If Sim gave me advice, I'd probably blow it off because <laughs> like he went to Azhar and no, he went to COD. It has nothing to do with it. And mine's a scholar worshiper. <laughs> Guys, wait. Hey. Number one, first thing I want to say is, Doctor Rilan, I don't think you've laughed this much on a podcast. I think you're, I, this is. I think that we're making you a little mad here, and I want to bring this, this is, back this to is joyous. course. This is joyous, mashallah. This guy. No, no, no. I want to talk about this. Because because Mahin has this uh, problem. I think it's a it's a problem in the heart. He, he, every time there's a scholar, he's he over glorifies him. 
<laughs> he, he, he won't take from uh, the I, activists. I have respect from the people of knowledge. Sheikh Hamra, can you talk about the that one? Um, what's it? Hadith, that story that, that the rivalry between the scholars and the the the, the, the du'a. isn't it like the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets, not the activists? No, we're not we're not talking about. <laughs> the, anyways, guys, we're, we're not the, talking about activists in the sense like you know uh, some of the marchers that are in Washington or anything. We're talking about the, the Islamic activists. So, uh, <laughs> no, I I think I think there's one thing. Uh, just because somebody has attained a certain certificate from an institution, it doesn't mean they're the people of Iman. That's first and foremost, right? Yeah. Um, so there's some people, man, I'm telling you, my, my gatekeeper when I was living in Egypt was this person who, if you were to see him, you would think in the way he talks and not even able to speak Arabic properly, you would think that, oh my God, what's with this guy? But the level and every weight that, every weight that his words had was so profound that you know it mm. doesn't it doesn't matter what level of knowledge people have yeah it can be it is definitely a good thing if if the person has a combination of knowledge and action and and, and relationship with Allah but you know that has nothing to do with anything i would rather listen to sim than myself to be honest with you i go to sim for advice i don't know what you're talking about mahim <laughs> <laughs> i i i go to sim if i want to know something is halal <laughs> <laughs> yes, Hala, go ahead, do it. Like, yeah. I, I always, you know, honestly, I, I have like the Mufti Abu Layth opinion. Take, take the easiest route. <laughs> oh, he just threw Mufti Abu Layth. People that are not here. necessarily scholars. Yeah, they just tell you the the good straight up. And sometimes you need to just hear the thing as it is. You don't yep. need all this obfuscation and intellectual constructs and usuli principles. And just tell me straight up, like. Do or don't do. And sometimes you just need to hear just straight up like that. And you know what? I was very fascinated with the story of Omar. I know sometimes we hear it and we laugh about it. But it's very relevant to the topic we were speaking of is that there was, I can't remember who uh, the individual was that was just asking some philosophical questions. And Omar, and he goes, wait, just wait for me right here. And he comes back, he brings a stick and he starts beating him with a yeah. stick. Right? <laughs> but if you really, if you think that, that's actually a very profound story. Yeah. Because what Omar yeah. did, he made him he 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 forced him back into reality by inflicting him with pain with a stick right yeah. and what happens yeah. when you're inflicted with pain all of us when we're inflicted with pain we always rush to allah whether you uh, uh are a muslim or non-muslim we always reach out to this higher power if you're a non-muslim and if you're a muslim we all make that dua oh allah you know mm-hmm. take me out of the situation and i'll worship you forever I'll that's be the actually best muslim. that's so true you know and uh joe rogan speaking because we spoke about him earlier there was one clip where he was talking about uh, seeing his daughter for the first time when she was born. Mm. And he d- d- he describes how emotional and the, the feelings that he had, he's never imagined. He's like, I never knew there was this type of emotion. You know, he never knew love existed in the way that it does when he saw his daughter. And he didn't have a way to articulate it properly. But it's just like, you're right. Like you have these significant experiences. Yeah. Of life, for example, being brought into the world or being taken from the world. Let me tweet tweet that significant significant experiences of truth that are just mm. smacking you right in the face, right? Yeah, yes, sir. And so once you do that, all of a sudden, all of these things just don't matter anymore. And you're like, huh? You, I don't know. You know, it's amazing that you just brought that up because a lot a lot of people come to me. You know, just young, younger kids and whatnot. They ask me about um, how or why. You know, non-Muslims go to hell and things like that. And I, I, I told them like, hey, did you live your life through their eyes? Did you see all mm-hmm. the truths that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave them in mm, their lives? Of course. You know, the, yeah, you you don't know important. like all the reminders Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is giving them 
from their first person view. You're only looking at it from the external view and you know you're you're sympathizing with their dilemma but you don't know what the what their life and their course was where Allah SWT kept on giving them reminders after mm. reminders and they kept on willfully ignoring it. And mm. you you in all your compassion are sympathizing and are crying over their demise, but in actuality you should be feeling like, you know, uh you, you should be succumbing to Allah subhanahu wa decision over them. Exactly, man. Mm. Everything is everything is a decision of Allah. Everything that's what I try to mm. tell my my students also, man, every single situation that you're in, Allah place that there for a reason. And even if you're gonna go do something haram and someone just stumbles upon you and says, Hey, let's go to the gym, Allah just saved you from a haram, right? That's mm. Allah's favor upon you. It's so it may seem so insignificant to you or uh, uh you know, it just happens to be a coincidence. There's no such thing. You know, if Allah is taking away from something he did and someone to be faced with such a reality, and that's one thing you're right. You know, I don't want to give Joe Rogan too much credit after a lot of the stuff that he talks about as far as anti-Islam is concerned. But one thing I'll tell you is the guy has had some awesome experiences. He articulates them very well. And that's something that is is a sign of Allah to him. You know what I'm saying? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving him numerous signs, especially in his art of articulating things and the way he discusses things sometimes. You know, I have to give him credit. He's, he's, he can be he can be a very it's not just articulation person. he's able to talk to dumb people like me and, and being able to ex- explain like um, complex things in a very simple manner exactly exactly and, and he that doesn't itself... strike me as somebody who's arrogant either no he's not I don't think so, he is so you know I, I pray for people like that like he doesn't he strikes me as somebody who's genuinely like if you just break it down to him and he just gets away from the influence of the Sam Harris's of the world that's why they need just, a Dr. Gilan, man. Yeah. That's why he needs Dr. Gilan <laughs> and Joe Rogan. Tweet it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Dr. Gilan and Joe Rogan show. Real quick, Sim, did you say these kids asked you how non-Muslims are going to hellfire? Yeah, so like I, I've taught Sunday school for a few years and yeah. things like that. So a lot of people, a lot of these younger kids will ask uh, me these type of questions like, wait, why why are they going to hellfire? Oh, I thought you meant how. Like if I would ask me how, I'd be like, what happens is the angels oh. grab him by their forelock <laughs> and throw him into hellfire. <laughs> and then the hellfire asks them, are there any more? <laughs> no. And then they get served like boiling pus oh to drink. <laughs> oh. This is exactly my reactions in the gym when I'm listening to you guys. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a set. I'm trying to push this weight. <laughs> and then my hand goes off on it. <laughs> Man, Maheen is definitely mad. He's mashallah, man. The guy makes you laugh. Dude, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, I'm just, I just thought you were going to no, say something very <laughs> academic and serious, Maheen. That, that's no, that's what top in my head. Like, how are they going to get in the hellfire? I'm like, that's how. That's the angels throw them in. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> dragged by the, dragged by the feet, dragged on the face. <laughs> I like how we completely deflected off of Mahin's scholar worship, though. Okay, yeah. Well, let's talk about like, well, well do, what Mom, is it? It's not a therapy session. Mom, right? talk about that. T- talk. Like, cause, like, well, well I, let's talk about the the, the story of Ya Abdul, Mo, uh, Ya Ya Abdul uh, Haramain. Yeah, yeah, that one. What am I talking about? Okay, Ya Abdul Haramain. No, I remember what's talking okay, about. Okay, so like, late last night we were, we were having like a, a long WhatsApp discussion. We were just waiting for Fajr. Where actually, I think everyone was in their bed and just chatting away on WhatsApp, and and uh, we were talking about Still some of the rivalries. Rival- yeah, so we were talking about some of the rivalries that happen between yeah. the scholars and, and the, the people who, who are involved in Dawah. And uh, ah. Sheikh Amr gave us uh, no, the story. I, I of- told them that this, there's a friction that always occurs. It's always going to be there of those people who are kind uh, of active boots on the ground or du'at, 
And those people have academic scholarship, right? Gilan, are you on Twitter still? Are you still off the the ban? Are you have you still made no, Twitter haram on yourself? I just linked to my Facebook when I post anything on Facebook, it just shows up there. But I'm not on Twitter. Oh, okay. So you're not. Okay. You might not be aware of some of the drama that's going on. But anyway, we were kind of talking What's about going on that. Now? Oh. <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> I don't want the listeners to get involved. All right. In it. So, <laughs> but anyway, we're we're talking about some of the rivalry that happens between scholars and and the Islamic activists. And mm. uh, Sheikh Hamid, can you talk yeah, so about? Yes, no, no. What, what I what I mentioned was I gave him the example of the the qasida that Ibn Kathir mentions, and Ibn Athir mentions the Abid al Haramain between Fudayl ibn Iyad and Abdullah bin mm. Mubarak. And that, that, that happens for a very specific, distinct reason. And sometimes that has to happen. I believe that that has to happen, but it has to be done with nobility, right? Meaning mm. that it's not like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go go talk to this academic, this scholar and, and butt heads with him because I, I really need to. This it, It's actually more natural than that. It shouldn't be intentional. But it happens. It's inevitable mm. that there's people who are active, boots on the ground, if you want to say, that are always in touch with people of bringing them to Islam, convincing them of Islam, being concerned with them. And the academics of Islam, if I want to say, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying that in a condescending manner, the academics of Islam and the Quran and the Sunnah are very busy with circles of teaching because that's their passion. They love to see nourishing of the soul, nourishing of, 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 of the mind and, and having firsthand and teaching people the Quran and the Sunnah and it's actually helping themselves more than anybody else. But what mm. happens with the da'i whose boots on the ground sees it as inactivity. And the yes. academic sees sometimes a da'i as reckless and too emotional and overzealous, right? Yeah. And that's something that's supposed to be there because they both help each other. They both make each other stronger. That Without the academics yeah. of Islam, the da'i wouldn't have knowledge, right? And without mm -hmm. the without the da'i, the academic wouldn't be concerned. Hey, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Right? They both need mm -hmm. they both need each other. It's always there. But where it gets messy is when there's harsh language used, and and you start talking about the person himself, and, and you know that that becomes a little. So even then, in the past, the way that the poem is is, is mentioned, in the way, yeah, yeah, the way the way the way it's worded. Is is so beautiful, you know, and and he's not being condescending. Actually, he's actually telling him, "Hey, look at our life, right? Our horses are this, and your horse that you know you're that you're just using to ride on, and the horses that we use, you know, and and it's just it, it was it was it's so beautiful, you know. Do you want to read it? I have it up. Yeah, I don't I don't have it memorized. Yeah. I just you know. Stuff for Allah. Yeah, stuff for Allah. Memorized. You. you know, you the, know. the old, yeah, memorize everything. Yeah, I'm, so. alhamdulillah, may Allah make you famous <laughs> one day. Yeah, Abid al Haram. I just pulled it up. Yeah, Abid al Haram. I just pulled it up. Yeah, Abid al Haram. 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 Yeah, Abid al Yes, man. Mashallah, this is uh... yes. He says, um, "What there's a there were two different translations. Is this the first translation? Uh, I sent you two separate. The translations. first one is better, I think. Sorry, yeah. Where's the first one? The first one is the one I sent you. Okay, so over here, yeah, my battery just died. But <laughs> so basically, he says, um, you know, just to translate for the listeners, um, oh, you who worships in the vicinity of the two holy masjids, if you but see us, you will realize that you are only jesting in worship." He who brings wetness to his cheeks with his tears should know that our necks bring wet are being wet by our blood. Mm. He who tires his horses without purpose 
now that our horses are getting tired in battle. Scent of perfume is yours, while ours is the glimmer of the spears and the stench of dust. We were narrated about the speech of our prophet, an authentic statement that never lies. That the mm-hmm. dust that erupts by Allah's horses and which fills the nostrils of men shall never be combined with the smoke of a raging fire. Meaning that fire that you kindle to stay warm at night. This is mm. the book of Allah. This is the book of Allah speaks amongst us. Uh, that the martyr is not dead and the truth in Allah's book cannot be denied. Right? There's another translation which was a lot better than this that I sent. Yeah. But the, the, what, what he's, look, how, look how eloquently he let him know that listen, the work that we're doing, we're in a very dire need right now, right? And you guys are in a very comfortable situation. And that's all he that's all he said to him, right? But he said it in beautiful words. Yeah. He didn't say, oh, mm. you munafiq, you're teaching this and you're, you're yeah. doing that and doing something. No, no, no. He, such an eloquent way and just letting him know, listen, man, this is this is our world. You know, this, this world of ours is a very difficult world that we're living in. A lot of people who listen to this podcast know that... I mean, they 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 can't tell. They know Mahin loves scholars, and I love Islamic activists. I love Ikhwan Muslimin, Hizbut Tahrir. <laughs> I love all these uh, all these groups because I know being with them when I was young. I know some of the yeah. sacrifices. I've seen close friends of ours who went back back home get imprisoned, and uh, and never see their families again. So, uh, like having that firsthand knowledge, like they, I have that soft spot for them, you know. And even though I have my own disagreements with them, why I ended up leaving, I will always have that attachment to them because they, they were my first introduction to the religion. And of course. Um, with Mahin, his first introduction to the religion was through the uh, Abu Khadijas of the world, <laughs> 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 the, the, the hardcore Salafis. So uh, I think even when when you kind of joke about them yeah. it's in a more playful manner you always had that soft spot for them because they they brought uh, you to the yeah. team right right right, yeah. right. so I, I think we have a balance on the podcast in that sense i always have that that inclination to the sonic movements and he he always has the the scholarly backing or the scholarly love i always have a photo that says the ikhwan from the 72 deviated sex <laughs> ready <laughs> to go <laughs> <laughs> Ladies like, and gentlemen, if you want to know what we discuss and how we joke around off mic, this is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, we 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 were going at it like, like three in the morning last night. It was fun. Yeah. We should but like yeah, the, hundred, the, the, the challenge of the activists is that um, sometimes when you're in the middle of something, um, you might miss you. You are not going to be a, totally aware of the trajectory that you might be going in, and so you need somebody outside of that world. To tell you when you're going astray, like listen, yeah. you're you've gone too far to this end. You need to come back this way, and we see that now a lot with uh, Muslim activists who are not necessarily well versed in the Sharia, who don't surround them, themselves with teachers, who don't seek counsel. Um, you know, they they're aligning themselves with groups and with activities that. You know, it's it's. it's but I, these are the activists that Sims talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the Islamic he, activists. He's not talking, yeah, he's not that talking. We're about, calling for the religion of Allah Subhanahu Taala to be implemented on Earth. Yeah, yeah we're not, not talking not about. For, we, 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 we not talking about We ain't talking about. Be, S, we ain't talking about SJW leftists. In the yeah, he's not talking okay. about activists to be Muslims so we can somehow be accepted by our fellow yeah. compatriots. We're talking about people who want to establish some... a caliphate, <laughs> like in America. <laughs> oh God, not America. Stop it. You're trying to become a citizen in this country, man. 
<laughs> That's why I like the scholars. I don't. They, they, don't, they try you to must be, You must be making mad dua for Duan right now in the AKP in Turkey. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'm, I'm saying that like that's where um I think that those kind of brothers. So, so, so these these are brothers that like are following the shit. Like they're religious brothers, yeah. right? Then he's like, not talking about. I mean, I don't want to mention her name, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> no need to mention no. her name anymore because I just said her. Yeah. But that's not an Islamic activist. That's uh, somebody who's who wants uh, acceptance and who wants right. Muslims yeah, to yeah. give so, up. So, so like, like you, like, like the activists. Even I, I would tell, like, because I, I, like, I have the relationship with the scholars, right? So the way this is playing yeah. out, I'll tell the scholars, like, on the in a PM, like, hey, listen. But I know this brother. This brother's got a lot of love for the Ummah and stuff. And he's like, yeah, but he's still wrong. Like, he doesn't know. Like, so it's like people who both love the Ummah, right? Yeah. But they're mm-hmm. manifesting itself in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Like, one of them was, like, the establishment of, like, for example, like, uh, the, the law of Allah is, is, like, supreme versus the scholar who will be like, no, we got to educate the people and, like, teach them. And then that will just come as a byproduct. And it's, and it's not the – and if it doesn't happen, it's not, like – a sin on the Ummah, right? All that kind of stuff. The problem yeah. with a lot of these activists, if you, um, I, I, I know just personally from the example of Sudan, you know, back in the 80s, I think it was, or like 70s, when they, the new, this government that's there right now, and they took over in a coup, and they mentioned this all this Islamic governance, law, rule of Allah, and, and um, you know, establishing justice and all of this stuff, and, and they're the most corrupt government in the world oh, absolutely. today. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's um the problem with this stuff is that um I really you know the hadith is zaif but its meaning is sound because it's confirmed in the Quran as you are you will have people put over you and all you have to do is look at the if you want to if you wonder why the type of governments that we have there today are the way that they are just look at the individuals look at the populace look at the people look how we conduct our affairs look at how we interact with our families so a lot of the scholars, their focus, from what I can see, is um, they're trying to change what's within. Forget about, I mean, there's issues there, but they're trying. They're the ones that I'm aware of. They're they're focusing on yeah. individual change. You change what's within yourself, and then that's going to manifest on a societal scale, and then that will manifest at a governmental scale. Uh, Malik bin Nabi, he's this great Algerian social co- scientist, commentary commentator. Um, rahimahullah, he was, he's one of the most significant uh, Arab intellectuals. And uh, he talks about with regards to the government, governance and colonization in the Muslim world today. He said the only reason these colonizers are able to come there is because we have what, what he called qabiliyatul istimar. We have this readiness to become colonized. Hmm. And we need to get rid of that first before we talk about changing governments and things. And so he wants to change mindsets. So the problem with a lot of activists is um, – I mean, this is something that Guy Eden mentions in, in his book, Islam and the Destiny of Man. Revolutionaries forget something that with revolution, it's, a, it's an inherently destructive process. It brings about destruction. And so because destruction is innate to it, it will eventually destroy those who brought it about. And that's what you see with a lot of these people with high aspirations and dreams and they want to establish Islam. They did it through destruction. And so they end up destroying themselves and losing their way. Um, and I noticed a lot, you know, there's a lot of bitterness too between the the Islamic movements and uh, the scholars because I think a lot of the – goes Isla- back to the collusion of the scholars. Talk about collusion, you guys in the States with Russia and stuff. But collusion of the scholars with the government. Exactly. Scholars have always been independent from the government, but ever since the advent of the nation state and bringing about religious institutions under the auspice and under the umbrella of governance. And so now you have the rulers deci- deciding which – 
uh, form of Islam to, prom to propagate. So that's where that distrust comes about now. I can't trust you as a scholar because you're just, you know, singing the, you know, tweeting the horn of the the, the ruler. And, and what you just said about how, as you are, is what your rulers are above you. It, it also speaks to the fact that we have uh, some governments who have, uh, you know, a, an illusion of an Islamic government, right? They make mm. it seem like they put some of the window dressing on, and make it seem like, oh, we're an Islamic government. But it's, it speaks to our condition as a people where we lie to ourselves about the truth. Mm -hmm. Like, w even w the way we understand Islam, we uh, cherry pick and we um, lie to ourselves in the nature of our belief. And that's why I love what Ortogrul said in one of the episodes mm -hmm. before he killed uh, uh, one of the uh, traitors. He said, you're going you're gonna to kill me over a Christian? And Ortogrul's response was, I will not forgive a traitor even if it was my own brother. And I will help the oppressed even if it was a disbeliever. Wow. And my enemy. That's such a yeah. seerah. That's such a, that's the ruh of the seerah, man. That's the spirit of the Sim didn't get there yet. Sim's still like waiting for, season four ended, by the way. You, oh, yeah, you can start binging. The whole series ended. I know, I know. It did, it did end. Um, I think. It's a permanent end now? But you guys, you guys go through all these like weird links to. To access season four, don't you? Ah, uh, historical fun subscription. <laughs> historical. Where, where where do you get that? Facebook. My daughter knows this. I don't know. Yeah, she, I, I, saw, I saw her like last weekend, and I and I gave her like the so you know his daughter was in the Eternal fan video. Yeah, 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 and like, and like so I see her <laughs> so now. I, I, I was I, I was like she's like eight, what nine or eight? Eight. I like put my hand on the chest, like nod to her. She like responds back, and I was like, and yeah, I just finished. Allah. I finished last. You, you, you know, Gilad, she comes up to me and she kisses my hand and puts it on her forehead. Just <laughs> that into the show, man. Yeah, I was actually surprised how much he was into it, man, and like all the names and yeah. I I, I had no idea an eight year old would have that cognitive understanding Shh. to understand all the plots and the schemes that are happening in this series. Man. She, she, she was showing um Sheikh Amr one day like how uh Ertural sword technique when he beheads Gumistek and yeah, I remember that. It's <laughs> like you gotta see this, you gotta see this. I was like, is this really happening? How is she so into this? Yeah, like my, my daughter's into it now. She's my daughter's favorites. Like, so th there's a scene where Noyan does the head bob. You know what I'm talking about? My yeah, daughter yeah. loves that, that scene. My my daughter just he she asked for that on repeat, and she just like starts I like laughing. Profession. I like Noyan now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was like so sim. I don't want to offer any spoilers, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I think the listeners don't want any spoilers because, but but how do how do they get historical fun? Did where what okay, website is that? It's it's on Facebook. It's a Facebook page, so you have to be on Facebook. You go to historical fun. Uh, but now they it should be all free because the subscription gate got us to episodes like pretty soon after the actual release. So you had to pay before uh, in order to get the. So, uh, in order to get the episodes quickly, correct, correct. Because otherwise, you'd be waiting maybe two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was getting them right. Away. I was getting them pretty quick. And um, it only paid me. I only paid like ten bucks. Yeah. For like half a. Cause I, I got on the subscription midway through season four when I was like running out, and then I was like, wow. all right, I'll just pay for it. It's like ten bucks. Um, <laughs> and that was it. I was is it on? Do you know if uh, WLX is all caught up? I don't think so. They're not. Oh, okay. They're still not caught up. Dang. So you're waiting for them to get caught up? That's where I would, you know, Yeah, but you can start now. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, watch, like, 40 hours? I binge hours. it, man. <laughs> when I binge, <laughs> I binge. Right now, I've been busy with work. No, but there's a... I've been trying to get a promotion, so... But I have to say, this is, this is a Joe Rogan experience podcast for sure. <laughs> but, but, We've but, gone through so many different topics. But, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a trailer. Uh, I saw the historical fun release for season five, but I think it's supposed to be Dearless Osman. 
from what I hear. Mm. Yeah, Dirty Dishwasher Mine is the next one. They actually had to pay uh, Engine because uh, uh, the the people the they there was like a boycott uh, campaign against Ortoral. What? Why? Why? Okay, like I don't want to spoil it, but somebody oh. dies, and if everybody was very sad about it, people were upset because it was historically inaccurate to talk, and they loved this person. Yeah. So there was a campaign to boycott Ortoral, and the plan was to have everybody die off at the end of the season. What? And so they had to readjust the writing, and they had to rehire Engine apparently for another uh, eight, like eight episodes or something for the next season, and age him so that they can set the stage up for Osman. Mm. So, so he will be acting partially in season five, then. Yeah, the first few episodes, he'll be there and he'll be older. They have, they've already done kind of a makeup thing for him and stuff. Okay. And, oh, that's insane. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's wow. it should, it should be I, good. Well, I'm glad they boycotted him because I would not be happy if they did that. Yeah, the writer had to like they had to readjust things because there were people were very upset. Because that, but that actor was didn't that individual like just bail like oh I'm out like no no this individual said that um when they when they were asked. Are you going to be continuing? And, and they said, I don't know. Like it's it's up to the director and the producer. And then when they were asked afterwards, they said the director had a different direction that they were going in, especially with Osman coming up. And so they decided to just you know, so end my oh, involvement in the series. Oh, so the 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 actor <laughs> themselves didn't want to be in. Like who's like who's the because like the actor the, themselves was happy to continue all the way to the end. Okay. So yeah. okay. So the director. Was it Mehmet Boz- yeah. Bozdak? Bozdak? Sir, the Mehmet. Yeah, apparently that's who takes the blame for setting that up. Mm. Oh man. Yeah, it was like you gotta it, 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 it added this like this unnecessary twist to everything, right? Because yeah, it was not needed at all. Yeah, it was so unnecessary. It's uncalled for. Right. It's the one thing in season four. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm season <laughs> the, the whole the whole show right was pretty much on point, but those couple episodes. Like from Bolum, like one sixteen, one seventeen was just like, yeah. It was like a dip. It, I think it ended well. A lot of people were upset how it ended, but I, 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 I was good with how it ended. Yeah, I was good with how it ended as well. Even the way that they handled the death. Yeah. There was a lot of amazing lessons to be derived from it. That it was quite impressive the way that they did it. Even though I hated it. Yeah. It was still impressive how they handled it. Yeah. Because but- they taught people about. Allah, about tawakkul, about like who's the real uh, provider, all of that stuff is is amazing. You got, you guys have inspired my curiosity to insane levels now. Who who's the one who died? <laughs> yeah, and it's like it, it, it'll it'll come out of nowhere too. <laughs> oh man, it's it's not gonna yeah. be like yeah, it it kind of like so I, I kind of realized because I was watching the I subscribed to one of the Instagram ch- channel I think Dirilis Dirilis on Instagram. Yeah, and it was like uh, trying to see. And it, unfortunately, they were giving away like spoilers and stuff. So, um, you know, it was just like, and I kind of got an idea. And then I asked one of my friends, "Is this person better not really have died?" And he's like, "Yeah, they did." Oh, and I was like, "Dang it!" <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, "That's not even right." Like, you know, that based on, I don't know, we don't know, we don't know that much about Ertero, but like based upon like, you know, so, so ba- based on what you guys are saying, you're saying that. They they still haven't decided for next season. No, I think they have. It, Seems like they have, right? So so that death will be permanent. They have. They're paying Elgin. He's gonna get paid like one hundred twenty thousand liras per episode, and no, no, he he he's gonna get paid. But that one, that other actor, or uh, they're they're going that to actor is not gonna come back. No, because oh, they so they're going. It's, it's gonna so... be a permanent death. Oh my god. Yeah, they killed him. No. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know who it is, but I'm already upset. Yeah, it, it was. I'm def- very upset. No, it it, it was definitely. Uh, but it, you know, oh, overall, like 
Now there's that new show coming out. Uh, I think historical fun with Gundogo's character and some of Manchel's character. Uh, yeah, which I'm probably gonna get into after the World Cup. Man, I, I wish I could do all of this stuff, but I've I've limited myself to just Ortoral. Wait, Gundogo's gonna going happen? No, no, life to do that. There's another show by the same produ by the same producers, I think. With um, it's a it's it's about the modern like the latter day Ottoman Empire. Mm. It's like about some war that happened, either in the 1800s, yeah. 1900s. And yeah. Kutal Amara is the Arabic translation for it, but I'm not sure what's name it. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the historical like like backdrop is, but Suleiman Shah's yeah. character is um there, and then Gundogo's character is there. Mm. I think Gundogo's yeah. character is like the Sultan or something. So I'm not sure. I I didn't get to see much of it. Yeah, uh, Doctor Gilan, have yeah. you watched the Arturul in Arabic, Arabic dubbed Arturul? I I caught like a scene of it, and I was disgusted. <laughs> oh, it was it was not a good translation or whatever. Oh, it's terrible the the dubbing because it's in like a Syrian like accent. It's just weird. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> okay, okay, I see. It's mm. just weird, and plus you you miss out on all the realism of the tone and all of that stuff. So. I prefer to just read the the Arabic subtitles. Yeah, I tried to watch the Bangla dubbing one episode in season one, and even Arabi, they, they, they gave him the vo the voice of like some guy with laryngitis. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, yeah, I could never do that. Even with like anime and stuff like that, I don't know if you guys ever watch anime. Do you guys watch Jap Japanese anime? Those big eyes freak me out. Give me oh, seizures. Come on, man. <laughs> Listeners, you guys know my pain. Like I These guys Akira. never understand any of my references. I saw Akira once. Akira? Is that, oh, that's, that's, is that a store for like women's clothing? No. <laughs> Akira? No, that's a singer. That's a singer you're talking about. No, Akira. There's a show called... There's a store. Oh, I, I didn't you're know. You're talking about Shakira. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's not Shakira. Shakira. <laughs> Shakira, yeah. Shakira. <laughs> So, oh, so let me ask you how how's your social media fast been going? Like this is a permanent. This isn't like a, a a temporary thing. Your idea, your intent is to be off the gram and Twitter and all this stuff like for good, right? So I I left Instagram for good completely. I deleted that. Like so, I'm not there anymore. Mm -hmm. um, Instagram I left as well. Uh, I mean Twitter I left. I, I I initially deleted it, but then just from no numerous people, I said I'll just leave it up at least for you know the content that's there already and. For there are people who don't have Facebook and they just only know about events and appear, you know, whenever I go visit some place, they only know about it through Twitter. So I have Facebook and Twitter linked that way. So I announce it on Facebook. If there's any post that I need to post for whatever reason, it's linked to Twitter anyway, so people can read it that way. Um, but it's been great, man. It's um, there's a quote by Denzel Washington: "If you follow the, if you don't know, if you don't follow the news, you're not, you're you're misinformed or you're not informed." And if you follow the news, you're disinformed. So one thing that I picked out from it is um, I'm, I'm actually I'm a lot more peace. Uh, even in my Quran recitation, my prayers, everything, there, there's just less clutter. I'm a lot, I'm a, I'm a lot more clear-headed. And, mm. I, and I notice about myself also, I mean, I, the reason I left it is due to counsel, but now I'm noticing the impact and why that council came to me to leave it because I was starting to council meaning lawyers have... speak to you. <laughs> What's that? No, no. Did lawyers speak to you? No. Attorneys? No, no, no. The council. That's what you like. He's like a teacher. Like, okay, yeah, well, teacher. I have to be the and voice really, of. The, I have to why be. Why would a lawyer look, tell him to get off social media? Look, <laughs> Ustad, I, I have to be the inner voice of the listener. Okay. 
So yeah. sometimes I'll ask no, dumb questions. It was, it was no, advice when, from yeah. Sheikh that, you know, and the reason I got that is because it was, uh, you know, it was impacting my, my behavior. So it, it was noticeable in my, in my talk, in the way that I interacted. There was something different about me that I wasn't aware was happening. Then I was told, it's time for you to lay off of this and get off of this. That's why you need so to adjust Murabi, man. when I did that. Everyone needs to adjust huh? Murabi, man, to tell them what to do, you know? Yeah, that's the, that's the idea. It wasn't like even an order or a command. They just said, just but, counsel for your own sake. You need to get off of this. He, he, do, they, do, do they fully understand what it is, though? Because sometimes oh, some yeah, of these, yeah, the yeah. scholars, they're like, ah, this technology stuff, you don't want, you don't need it anyway. No, I, what are no, you doing, no, no, Zulan? It's not about that. It's, you need to you study with to, us a little bit more. Again, back to faqid al-shay' la The one <laughs> that's how scholars... something cannot give something. <laughs> Sim, no, listen. First and foremost, you're not talking to somebody who's in 12th grade or... or no, Shekhamer, you know some of the teachers we studied with. They okay. they would say, like, what I are you doing on this that. computer? Clickety-clacky. You know, like, <laughs> typing up letters. No, that's not it, dude. Do you think this is dawah? <laughs> this is not dawah. Dude, you have to understand, <laughs> this is Dr. Muhammad Ghilan we're talking about. His murabi is going to be at a whole different level, son. I thought his murabi wouldn't be in a desert or something. No, no, no. Hey, uh, doctor, I'm sorry about this, this ignorant... Uh, Republican speech here, uh, this <laughs> rhetoric. Just forgive him, please. Yeah, no, it's um, no, it's 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 just it. It was impacting my own behavior, my own is presence, my own being. It was just something that only somebody outside it, of it, me who it impacts you know, everyone. And I think people just choose to ignore it because they're so so addicted to their phones. And yeah, the, I, I know just with with me and my wife, the amount of stress that comes from uh, Facebook and. Twitter, well, just the reading the, the amount of ne- negative publicity every day. Yeah, and the one thing I was told about it as well is um, you need to recognize, like, once you start to believe yourself being that important, that is a bad sign. Mm, because if true. Allah wants to guide people, he will guide people, and he will bring people to you. If he wants to guide people through you, they will be brought to you. So I, it, was just, that- it, was, it was having a very – the negative was outweighing the positive. You know, everything that you engage in has its aspects, and it was not doing good service to my being. So I left it, and, you know, just leaving it now for the last uh, couple of months, I'm noticing, like, my revision of the Qur'an is a lot clearer. I'm not struggling. Um, Prayer is I'm a lot more present, and I'm, I don't have clutter and thoughts coming into my mind that was just, you know, Twitter, the stream of Twitter was becoming more ever-present in my mind all the time. Um, dramas that you. come and go. I mean, there's always a drama on Twitter. There's always something happening. Yeah. Um, and it, it comes up and it goes away and it's like, did really something change? Did, so I left all of that and subhanAllah, literally within a week of leaving it, I started getting requests from local people um, between Sydney and Brisbane to come and do classes. Like that five uh, session se- uh, series that I did covering Imam al-Ghazali's uh, text from the Ihya, that came after I got off of social media, off of Twitter. Um, then Sydney, a group of uh, wonderful brothers and sisters there running a Mizan uh, Avenue there, um, invited me to come over and we've got a couple more sessions, retreats that are being organized. And then I, I basically started to become more present with people in my locality. Even there is a group at the university here, uh, young Muslims, they have their own set. Every two weeks they have a gathering of just like young Muslims, Let's can we just have a, 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 you know, a session with you and just have a Q&A? And so now I'm present with people physically. Um, in person, and there's a, a greater impact to that than 
you know, 20,000 followers or whoever, you know, nameless people that you don't know about. You don't, I know that it has an impact. I have been getting messages and the difficulty for me was I got messages from people. I meet people even now as I travel to different places and I get told like, Jazakallah khair, you know, it was great. You know, it's your writings, your videos, your podcast. It's been really helpful to me. I've been So that's the difficulty for me. It's like, man, I, should I really leave all of that? I didn't really leave it. I've basically limited my own engagement because it was harming me. I'm still putting out the content, but I'm doing it at a more uh, selective pace, slower, and I'm putting more thought into it. And it's not impacting my relationship with Allah anymore in the way that it was. And I wasn't noticed. I wasn't aware of it until I actually, when I was told, it really troubled me. It's like, what? Like I'm changing that to that degree. I need to leave. Well, I was. Uh, I met one of my friends uh, last night who listens to both our shows. And he thinks that one of the reasons you left is after the Ertugrul show, we started talking about like the the actresses and who was the finest one. And he was like, <laughs> that probably like he probably was like, dang, these Mad Mum looks like took me down the gutter of their like you know deplorable speech. <laughs> not at all. That's not that's not the reason. It's just it's amazing. I mean, I used to do a fast every year, anyways. I used to go in Ramadan and I would just take off. Mm. Every Ramadan, I would stop for a month, and I would feel like a positive experience from it. But I don't know. Recently, it's just been really more. I've been just too involved with it. Have you and, thought um, about doing Umrah during Ramadan? What's that? Have you Have you done uh, Umrah during Ramadan? Uh, a couple of years back, I did. Yeah, that's the last ten nights. We we have a, a group that goes every year um, through one of our uh, our friends. Uh, we we go together, and <clears throat> I can I can't tell you just. I've done it twice, or, or sorry, I'd have done it once, I think, sorry. Done it once, and uh, it was just the most amazing experience in my life. I, oh, it's beautiful If, if it's any beautiful listeners are contemplating going to do Umrah during Ramadan, uh, make sure you, you think about it for next year. Make sure you save mm-hmm. now, start saving now, and, and it's not that expensive, actually. It's my, no. Uh, it, I'd also just uh, just a final thought on that uh, the social media thing. I actually changed my whole interaction with the phone itself. It's not just cutting off the media. So every evening now at about nine p.m., I turn it on airplane mode. So like nobody can get a hold of me until the next morning after after I finish my athkar. Hmm. Once I finish my Quran and athkar and everything after subah. If I have another commitment, I don't turn it on. I finish any commitments I have in the morning, but the earliest I will turn it on in the morning is around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And so I have from 9 p.m. until that time, nothing. And then when I go into classes, I put it on airplane mode. When I go and have lunch or dinner or coffee with anybody, I turn it off as well. And so I make a point of like whenever I'm engaged with somebody because I want to be present with that person, I don't even pull it up on the table. Just put it in airplane mode, turn it off, and just be with the person. And I've noticed like just my – it does have an impact on you. This thing, its presence is harmful to your relationships in, in very subtle ways. Just the idea of just having it on yeah, is problematic. You yes. know, and, and I know a lot of listeners are going to be thinking right now, oh, you know, I can't do that. But because I have my work phone, my work email attached to my phone, get another you know phone. What? I'm, th- I'm like, actually, as you're going to collapse, yeah. it's not going to end if you don't respond right away. Yeah. Um, and so I don't. I just leave it. And I, even my email, I check my email once a day and that's it. I used to check it all the time, refresh, refresh, you know, just check it. Just with it. I don't do that anymore. I just have a set time in the day. I check it. The rest of the time, it's amazing how much free time you get from it yeah. and how much more you're able to accomplish. Had it not been for me leaving all of this stuff, 
you know, I'm, I'm actually working on now uh, with the uh, Al-Hikam Institute here in Brisbane. We're going to start recording uh, translation and commentary on all 40 books of the Ihya. Yeah, mashallah. Of Imam al-Ghazali's and just putting that out. I would not, I like the time I was spending on social media and the phone and just being engaged with all that stuff, it just, there was nothing of real heavy substance that I was able to accomplish out of it. And right. now that I have that time set aside, it's basically you have a choice. There's only so much time in the day. You have a choice. Do you want to spend it wisely and do something of substance that you can leave behind? Yeah. Or you just want to waste it in these like short tweets and dramas that arise here and there. And Yeah. You know. And, and, and you know, I, just as you're speaking, I'm thinking how I'm going to implement this. Because I, I literally can't um, can disconnect from my work email because literally the company will burn down if I don't respond. Uh, mm. Not literally, but in terms, I handle all the IT systems in our company and if something's down, then the whole company's down and it's like 60,000 wow. employees around the world. So, wow. Um, That's a responsibility. Uh, so what I, w- what I would do is I would probably dedicate another phone, one of my older phones, sp- yeah. to my email and mm. keep my regular phone disconnected on airplane mode. I think that that's might kind of, be a good one. That, that's yeah. a that's a wonderful idea that you've had because that I know if an emergency comes up, that phone will ring. But then anything non-emergency can wait. Yeah, because I've contemplated this idea for a long time, just getting disconnected. No, it is, man. I'll tell you why. Yesterday I went to a party, right? I went to a party through my in-laws, and what I've been doing for the past ever since Ramadan is anytime I go to a party, I just leave my phone in the car. And you realize how much more interactive you are because what happens when party's a little down and someone you just want to check your phone real quick and yeah people start yeah. talking to you and you're looking at that you don't realize how rude that is man. But sometimes people are so boring though no it's not about that let them be boring <laughs> but that's that's our I social mean, serious atmosphere. like <laughs> no, I, I have i have a i have an answer to that but i'm saying we've become so non-social even though we're in a social gathering that's problematic and really think about it honestly if someone's talking to you and i'm guilty of this too you're doing mm. something else and you're talking to them and you're looking at the screen at the same time Honestly, dude, that's yeah. kind of disrespectful, bro. Yeah. You know, that is. But we it's do it. Everyone does it because it's so normal now. Mm-hmm. It's normalized. Yeah. Right? Well, and look at the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Whenever he would speak to someone, he would turn with his whole being towards that person. Exactly. And then that person would feel like they were the most important person in the world. Exactly. That's a part of the fitrah, to feel important, right? It is yeah. To, it's and to so make people feel important. Your phone. Just turn it off. Put it away. Oh, man. Pay I've, attention to people. Be I've present. Done, I've done it to Sheikh Hamar so many times. <laughs> I've been playing on like video games uh, on the phone. <laughs> What was like, it? Wait, those are video games? I thought you were doing something important. You looked like you had the important face on. No, no, no. That was a me. When I make a serious face, that's me playing video games. Everything else first is like all, all comical. Gotta, first of all, you guys got to stop calling me Sheikh, man. We're, we're in the presence of a real Sheikh and you guys are talking. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just stop it, bro. Um, so uh, it's it's you know get get off of this stuff. I I really highly recommend it. And you'll get into deeper work states. You'll be able to accomplish more. If you're trying to memorize the Quran, you'll be having an easier time doing it. Um, you'll be able to pray in a more in a more present state. And by the way, like even with prayer, people wonder, oh, I, I'm not feeling presence in my prayer. I can't. Well, if your whole day is is filled with distracting yourself all the time and being active all the time, yeah. where you don't have a moment of just let's just sit down in silence. And then you enter into prayer from distraction, and then you you expect that immediately you should go into a state of serenity. That's a hard order to fill. Of course, man. So you should have moments in your day where just relax, just chill. You know, you don't have to do anything. You're right, man. The thing is, so itikaf, right? I thought I was, I had some like um, preconceived. I've never even done like a twenty-four hour itikaf before this uh, mm. this year, right? 
So like I thought that and I definitely wanted to leave my phone in the car and have this like flip phone whatever. I thought I'd be tripping like my nuts would be tripping the first couple of days, but it wasn't. It was fine. But like mm. after like you know after we did cut them, then you're just trying to chill. Like I remember like I was having like I was having withdrawal like on day 7 and yeah. 8, not like in day 1. But like yeah, at the that's same how it works. at the same time it was like I was remember I remember I'd be reading Quran like these random flashbacks from like ten years ago popping in my head, yep. That yeah. would be coming in because like because I'm like all of a sudden I don't I guess because it's not because I'm not consuming information because there's only it, the Moshe did itikaf and there's only like including myself only five brothers did itikaf. Oh wow! So it was like there were days where I didn't talk to anybody either, and so you have these random oh, flashbacks up. and stuff of random. Yeah. I had I had this weird trippy dream. I had this one dream where um I was helping Michael Jordan with his gambling problem. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Subhanallah. Because, like, you know, it was like something, like, stuff. Wouldn't you know, it be funny if your dream was happening in a multiverse? Like, it was something that you were doing in another universe? <laughs> yeah. Like, that I was, would be amazing. Yeah, like, I was I was helping him on his PR campaign because he was getting all this bad pub during his gambling crisis. And it was weird because, like, it's not like I was reading about his gambling stuff anytime, even when it happened back in the 90s. I didn't care about it. Like, he's played good basketball. Like, I was a kid in high school, right? Um, so it was just interesting, like some really off the wall thing, off the wall stuff happening, right? Wow, you know. That's insane. But then the, uh, but I was just like, it was like the withdrawal period, and then when I got my phone back, so the itikaf, itikaf technically ends, right? Um, I think Thursday night. Uh, yeah. like I guess the, when you see the moon, right? But then I remember, yeah. um, I think some of the shayuk say that like one of the lost sunnan is the stay the night of Eid, that you should still stay. So I stayed, but yeah. then I had a kid go get me the phone from my car. Um, once the itikaf ended, so I remember, like yeah. for an hour, I was like just catching up, like eighteen hundred messages and stuff. Eighteen hundred. <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> I, this, I, is, this is what uh, I don't know if you guys know who Sheikh Mukhtar Maghrabi is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he's the guy who uh, from Algeria. He, oh, yeah, so Omar Mukhtar, right? He's, <laughs> not Omar Mukhtar. No, 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 no. no? Not, Mukhtar was not in Algeria. Uh, Omar Mukhtar was Libyan, right? Was in Libya, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lion of the desert. No, we're not talking about Lion of the Desert. He's he's Algerian. Oh, he's he's in Turkey right now. Anyways, (laughs) he He just got an experience of of what it is to live with Sim. He had to laugh while he was talking. He goes, anyways, I'm not gonna settle. I'm not gonna stoop to this level. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I understand. Don't worry, I understand. I I got it figured uh, out. No, Sheikh Mukhtar was saying he was commenting on when people. uh, He's like, when you break your fast. Don't break your fast with vengeance. Subhanallah. And so Nahin was just breaking his fast with the phone with vengeance. <laughs> yeah. Sim, you were talking about it, there was one of the iftars where you broke your iftar with vengeance. Oh, right? You took you said you took you what? Know, you... Every I, I listened to all of your uh, you know Ramadan series Ustad, yeah. and uh well for the listeners if you haven't if you want to learn about just um eating in general and your relationship with food, please go and um, listen to uh, Dr. Gilan's. Uh, how, what is it? Three part series or five, five parts? Five. five part series, five. right? Okay, I must have stopped at three. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm the, the first three were Kitabu Kasir yeah. Shahwatain, the book of breaking the two desires, and the last two are Kitabu Asrar Sawm, the book of the secrets of fasting, both make, from the Ahiyah al Make sure you listen to those episodes. They're jewels. Uh, Mashallah, you did a fantastic job on those. But mm-hmm. all those episodes were ringing through my head, but when I saw the amazing food my mom made, I couldn't help myself, <laughs> and I just destroyed it. 
He said, I took vengeance on my stomach. <laughs> I still remember your message. <laughs> Guys, I took vengeance on my stomach today. <laughs> it, it, it's it, it, like, it, like the food thing is like, so like, it's so hard, man. Like, I, I like, it, like the, the thing is, we, you're, we've, like, we know you're right. <laughs> we know you're right, but we've made food into such a science that we've perfected the, uh, the recipes to the maximum potential that of it can be perfected. Buds. Yeah, yeah. Like, taste buds. You, like human beings Bro, back then I, were I, had, you, I'll if like, you presented man, a plate of biryani to the Arabs week. back then, they would have all been fat. Well, 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 sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. What was that? No, my father was visiting me last week because he wanted. He's never been to Australia. He wanted to see, like, oh, where's my son living and what's he up to and stuff. So he comes here, and it was a al maftuh for me. It was this bu al maftuh. I didn't care. This whole week he was here, and of course his dad, right? So he's just like, let's go to this restaurant, that restaurant, that restaurant, and he's like, I'll, and so he's paying, of course, and. Like, all right, <laughs> I'll take this, I'll take that, I'll take that. <laughs> and then we'll finish off with this dessert. And he's like, I'm noticing that you uh, just uh, no control there. <laughs> like, you're here, you know. It's Normally I'll be fasting, I'll be doing something, I'll be controlling myself, but you're only here for a week. If you were living here, different story. But just for the sake of your visit, I'm going to leave it open. Alhamdulillah, man. Alhamdulillah, man. Yeah, it was like the one that I went to, my friend invited. I told him I told this year, no, no Ramadan buffets, right? My, but yeah. then, you know, in the middle of the day in Ramadan, you're like get cravings, you start acting up. Yeah, and you make the most irrational decisions because I swore, <laughs> to, I swore to myself last year because when I went to a Ramadan buffet, they had awful food, and it's been like two, three times I went to these restaurants and they have very mediocre food for their Ramadan buffets, and I swore to myself this year I'm not going to go to a Ramadan buffet. But what did I do? I made an ir- irrational decision and went to one and completely regret- regretted it. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you're paying like 30 bucks and then like tire away, forget it. I mean, there's no impossible. Yeah, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? That was my incentive, I, you know, and to my family too. I said, listen, and I, I'm, I don't mean to be the party pooper here, guys. I apologize, but I think this is a very important message. Uh, mm. Not because I'm saying it because one of my teachers told me this before too, and it makes a lot of sense to me, is that the only time of the year where it's easy to go to Isha and do Qiyam al-Layl is in Ramadan. The yeah. only thing that's going to stop you from doing that is overeating. So the yep. one month that you have that you're going to be in much more control and you're going to be inclined to pray in the masjid, this overeating, what it does, it actually makes you hate. And I hate to say this, but it makes you hate praying, especially Salat al-Isha. Yeah. It becomes a burden, right? And for me, that became, I'm not saying this to be a party pooper. This is an incentive for me not to overeat. Yeah, after Tarawiyah, that's where I would kind of, you know, go to town sometimes, right? But what happens mm. is that, man, you know. Not on Devon, baby. Yeah. yeah. After, for Sahur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, you know, three dates, you know, max with a glass of water or milk or whatever. You know, go pray Maghrib. You come back, you're not even that hungry. And then you eat yeah. a little bit. What happens is, man, when you use your psyche to be mentally hungry and you gorge on food then, bro, it's over. Your Isha, two cups of coffee is not even going to help. And then you're no. just an Isha and you can't wait for it to be finished. It'll man. be like that's, that dude. That's a crime. Too, Muhammad, so. did you listen to the sh- podcast we did with uh, Shaq, Janwar Fitness? Yeah. And he talks really about the, the uncle that like threw up. And <laughs> he's like, he threw up all this rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, dang. <laughs> like that day I went to Bawadi for the buffet. I would have like thrown up if I if I even like I remember it's like almost it's to the point where I think when I cause I was like you're in line right and you're yeah. like you now you have a remember for last year I was like Tarawi tonight's not happening you already chuck up the L like it's not <laughs> happening <laughs> I was like it's game one of the finals today it's all right I'll I'll miss today <laughs> that's, you know. that's you know, honestly it's um uh, for me it's just um. Uh, 
that it's so important for me to get through like uh, the Quran, the recitation, the prayers, all of that stuff. Um, having experienced, like I, I try to register in my mind when things become difficult and when it comes to food and uh, for me I'm willing to sacrifice that meal for the sake of just being able to recite in peace because when I'm filled up it's really hard to get through like if especially if you're trying to do multiple khatams that means you're gonna have to sit there and recite a lot and you know go through all this stuff it's just too difficult you know it's uh, I'd rather not eat all right well we're gonna go and wrap so first of all uh like I went through a lot for you today because I was fasting and I broke my fast three hours ago with three dates and the food, real food just showed up. <laughs> oh, mashallah. So, no, I had to make up fast. Accepted. There was one day I I was dehydrated and, and I was getting like cramps, so I had to break. So uh, The six days of shawar right now? So I, I'm not on six of shawar yet. He's making up his... Uh... I, I, I missed one fast, so I made I made up that today was my makeup day. Ah, he was sick. Yeah, I was like dehydrated well, I was that day. I was just going to say, it wasn't that time of the month for you? <laughs> Kilad busting out the humor. Oh, oh man, ruthless. Uh, I, I asked. Uh, I remember. I was thinking about you this morning because, like, this fat today's fast was rough, and I was like, man, I don't want to do six of Shawal. I was like, didn't Imam Malik say that Shawal fasting was makru? And then I asked, uh, like, uh, I asked Sheikh Hamza Makbul that I texted him. I was like, and he's like, yeah, but the Madhub says it's not because. Uh, during the time of Malik, everybody was making it. And I, I remember you talking about how, like, we use convenient Sharia loopholes when we want. Like, we won't fast exactly. the end of, uh, of Shaban because we was like, and you're like, that's for everybody who fasts normally, right? So yeah, yeah. I was like, dang, I, I, I thought about you, to, like, because I was like, dang, I got to still, like, somehow bust out these six of Shawel after. How do man? You know, inshallah. All right, inshallah. so, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you coming Thank on. Thank you so much for your time. You spent, um, listeners don't know. Jazakallah khaira. This was wonderful. I really, this was my favorite uh, episode so far because it was less academic and more fun. Uh, hopefully that the listeners come this far and listen to all this. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, yeah, and definitely Andalus Book Club Online. What's your website? AndalusOnline.com, right? So it's AndalusOnline.org. Yeah. Um, much of what I do now is, um, so I've, I'm, Today is, was my second day. We we're doing a three-day webinar where um, I'm covering Islam and the destiny of man okay. by Guy Eaton. That's all recorded, um, so, right? Because I, I, I've been pay, I, I've been a subscriber, a member for years since like January. But I'll be yeah. honest, I haven't done anything. I, 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 I just buy the books and they sit on my in my shelf. So it's all recorded, <laughs> yeah. and and for the sake of those like Mahin who don't read the books, <laughs> uh, the web. <laughs> The webinars actually go through important passages, important chapters, you know, and just comment on them and stuff. So, and all that is recorded. So there's like a good video library now of all books from last year, as well as books from this year, as well as some short courses that I've recorded there. So that's actually much of the content that I put out now is there, as well as the podcast, of course, you know, Muhammad Laylan, if they search on iTunes and Stitcher, whatever podcast app they use, you can find it there. All right, man. Jazakallah khair. Look forward to chat with you soon again dr man it was honestly an honor to have you again hopefully there's it was more. a pleasure having you again Sheikh Ahmed. No, i really is... appreciate you showing up this time last time with orthodox roundtable you weren't there and i was kind of sad yeah i'm well, kind of a loser i don't know anything about it you know so he's, he's still on episode right, four <laughs> i three i saw three episodes three episodes <laughs> <laughs> he's busy we'll forgive you for Let that arturo hasn't gone to aleppo yet <laughs> <laughs> had a you know, so, all right. For our listeners out there, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at the Mad Mamluks user at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Give us a five star review on iTunes. Uh, for our special guest, Dr. Mohammed Gilan, and my co host, Sheikh Amr Saeed and Sim, this is Mahin signing off for the Mad Mamluks. Assalamu alaikum.
Aleykümselam ve rahmetullah.